Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast, the first without James. Yes, well, quality only gets worse from here. (laughs) Yeah, editing might be done properly, rather than leaving in big chunks of mistakes. His last podcast was just so iconic of what we're going to term the James era, I think. Because Mm. at the end, my sound cut out, the audio cut out after I finished talking about my triple bill choices. And he just left it in. It was just a long pause and then me saying hello. Hello. And that stayed in. So that's just typical of the, the James era. And, and, and he took the editing job away from me. <laughs> and that's what happened. Um, it was the Kate Bush of, of podcasting. That's what it was. It was just experimental. Yeah. It was mental. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but I'm Stephen Orr and I'm joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And Carol Pett. Hello. And uh, yes, so James left us though with a few films to watch, didn't he? Yes. Which was uh, uh, I had I had the final member, which I didn't watch the first time round. Uh, <laughs> Carol had the entertaining Danny Dyer romp, Run for Your Wife. Not in and... this fucking universe. It was. <laughs> I don't know what universe you watched it in. I, I'm not going to watch that. Trust me. <laughs> and. Owen saw... I can't remember. <laughs> I saw Condor Man. You saw Condor Man. Yeah. Uh, so, I will start off with a review of Final Member. It's a documentary about a man who collects willies who lives in Iceland, I think it was. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast, the first without James. Yes, well, quality only gets worse from here. <laughs> yeah, editing might be done properly, rather than leaving in big chunks of mistakes. <laughs> His last podcast was just so iconic of what we're going to term the James era, I think. Because mm. at the end, when my sound cut out, the audio cut out after I finished talking about my triple bill choices... And he just left it in. It was just a long pause and then me saying hello. Hello. And that stayed in. So that's just typical of the, the James era. And, and, and he took the editing job away from me. <laughs> and that's what happened. Um, it was the Kate Bush of, of podcasting. That's what it was. It was just experimental. Yeah. It was mental. <laughs> 
Right. Uh, but I'm Stephen Orr, and I'm joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And Carol Pett. Hello. And, uh, yes, so James left us, though, with a few films to watch, didn't he? Yes. <laughs> which was, uh, uh, I had, I had the final member, which I didn't watch the first time round. Uh, Carol had the entertaining Danny Dyer romp, Run for Your Wife. Not in and... this fucking universe it was. <laughs> I don't know what universe you watched it in. I, I'm not gonna watch that, trust me. <laughs> and, Owen saw, I can't remember. <laughs> I saw Condor Man. You saw Condor Man. Yeah. Uh, so, I will start off with a review of Final Member. It's a documentary about a man who collects willies who lives in Iceland, I think it was, um, for a museum, and he wants a human one. And I didn't like it. <laughs> I don't know if it's because I had no interest in the subject matter. matter. I mean, it, my interest in willies stops at my own. <laughs> past the lady that, doth I, protest too much. <laughs> past, past that, I don't care. And maybe it's because of my complete lack of interest in the subject matter. I didn't care. Maybe it's because I just found it bored. I don't know. I didn't get on with it. I, I found it a waste of my time and um, <laughs> time that I will never get back, James. Well, I think James oversold it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, as a definitely. as a documentary. But I thought it was still quite good. And it's not really a film about Willies. Be honest, it's a well, documentary no, it's about a man's quest to sort of fulfil his for... life ambition. Which is the collected man's willy. Which is willy. the collected man, a human man's willy, yes. A human... A human man, as opposed to... A human to man. A, <laughs> a human lion man's willy, yeah. <laughs> a man, man, human man. Yeah. And his appendage. Yes. Um, so, we're going to save Carol's to last, because it's probably going to be the best lot. <laughs> Owen, what did you think of Condor Man? It... Uh, it no, I can't... No, it wasn't very good. I'm sorry, Matt. I'm sorry, James. Well, I'm not sorry. Well, I'm not sorry, James, at all, actually. But I am sorry, Matt, because he was the one who sort of pushed it on us originally. And he included it in his list of, um, when he did his decade in film article for 1981. And he ranked it as one of his favourites, his top five. Um, I mean, essentially, it's a Disney film about a cartoonist who gets mixed up in an espionage plot where he tries to help, um, a KGB. Um, agent who's trying to defect and it all goes a bit crazy but he's also at the same time obsessed with his comic books that he draws and writes and he dresses up as a bird which is effectively him in some yellow tights and wellies and uh, like a paragliding kit and honestly it's really just terrible there's n- uh, it Matt I think likes it through nostalgia I think if you did see it as a kid then perhaps if you're a bit simple, you might enjoy it. <laughs> but I just, uh, I hated it. It was so, so boring. So boring. I was thankful it was only 90 minutes long. Yeah, wow. that was it really. Damn. Short, short and scathing. Short and yeah, and scathing. Damning. Um, so, Carol, Run For Your Wife, starring uh, Danny Dyer, Neil Morrissey, Denise Van Outen and your one out of girls allowed. Yeah, that's actually what I've got written in my notes. Your one out of girls allowed. Word <laughs> for word. I don't know what her name is, um, but it comes to something when when you say, "Oh, you're one from girls girls allowed in it," and she's not by far the worst thing in it. 
I mean, I I enjoy a bad film. This is this is why James picked this for me. I think I do enjoy a bad film, like but the in the so good it's bad category. Like I, I'm a big fan of the ones that you see on sci-fi at about eleven o'clock at night. That's that's fine. That's that's the level I enjoy. This was on a whole new level of shit. This was just unbelievably bad. I was checking my watch ten minutes in. That that's how bad it was. It was le- I think it was less than a ha- an hour and a half as well. Uh, and and I felt every moment of that. Honestly, it was. I, I should actually just tell you what the plot is. It's actually based on. Apparently, I've, I've just been reading about this earlier. I didn't know it was based on a very long-running um, stage show that ran in the seventies for about nine years. So it had it had a fair old run. But you can tell it's come from the seventies because what they tried to do is, is take a seventies slapstick uh, farce and put it into present day with just horrendous and offensive results <laughs> like the whole the whole treatment of uh homosexuality especially and women it's just oh god it's it's just it's dreadful um so the the basic premise is that Danny Dyer is a, a taxi driver obviously London taxi driver uh is a bit with, of a che- with the knowledge with the knowledge and he's a <laughs> yeah. bit of a cheeky chappy i don't know whether you would believe that Coming from Danny Dyer, I'm not Danny sure. Danny Dyer, Danny Dyer does have have two main roles: <laughs> cheeky chappy or football hooliganism type man. But he's a bit of a cheeky chappy. But sometimes underneath. he can play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he he can be good though. I've seen Human Traffic. He's quite good in Human Traffic. Yeah, I've seen a few films where he's been in good or at least okay in. <laughs> yeah. And and, um, and I've seen him do karaoke in EastEnders as well, so... But, the, but there is a reason why he's in EastEnders now and was a paramedic in Casualty for a bit. <laughs> was he really? <laughs> yeah, I'm not, sure if it, I'm not sure if it's a one-off episode or longer, but he definitely at some point played a paramedic in Casualty. I'm definitely going to have to add that to my to my watching list, I think. I, th- there's a good reason why they sent him to America to cover UFOs as well, I think, personally. <laughs> Danny um, Dyer, I love UFOs or something. That was, that yeah. was amazing. Uh, so yeah, it's a che- cheeky chappy taxi driver, and he sort of uh, gets involved in, in a mugging, uh, not actually perpetrating, but... You know, stopping, it, stopping the mugging. So it was an actual mugging. No one was being mugged off. It was an actual mugging. <laughs> no, it yeah, was actually mug. the mugging of yeah. not of the off variety. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Are you mugging me off? It was like proper robbing. Yeah, it was a proper yeah. handbag involved in everything. I mean, because you need to be clear on the type of mugging if it's the Danny Dyer. I film. do. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. Sorry about it, that. It was a tea leaf. They were tea leafing. Yeah. Um, yeah. An old woman's bag. They were chawing her bag right, mugging, mugging her right off. Anyway, so <laughs> I suppose if you mug someone, you do mug them off as well. Yeah, but I mean, the joke, joke's on her, really, because yeah. for some unexplained reason, she's got this massive tin of uh, dog food in her handbag, and she goes to hit someone, but she accidentally hits Danny Dyer and said, "I'm not even going to bother learning his character name. He's Danny Dyer." She, he accidentally hits. She accidentally hits uh, Danny Dyer instead, and he gets a concussion. And then it all comes out that he's he's just got two wives, basically. Uh, one in Finchley and one in, uh, I don't know, some South London hellhole. And um, <laughs> <laughs> I can say that. I live in South London. It's fine. Croydon. <laughs> oh, it was Croydon, was it? I don't know. Probably. No, yeah. Yeah, it probably was. Let's just say it was Croydon. Stockwell, and, I think um, it was. Yeah. And it's just, it, it's, it simply is the worst film I've ever seen. I knew within a minute... Right, you you have all these cameos turning up from from famous people, and the most notable thing about this film on IMDb and the trivia is how many people's last film this was. <laughs> Richard Briers was so 
embarrassed about it. He died two days after it came out. <laughs> That's how bad it is. And you know, and you know it's going to be bad when less than a minute in, people turn round and there's Rolf Harris and currently Cliff, Sir Cliff Richard. <laughs> it was like, I, can't, I can't believe I'm seeing this. It's someone just watching Run For Your Wife and ticking these people off. Yeah, literally. There's about Nonce, six... nonce, nonsense. <laughs> there's about six people who have died since. I'd, I'd watch out. I'd watch out if I was Dickens because he's in it, isn't he? He's in it. Yeah, quite. Yeah, yeah that, that's the that, that's the bit where the kind of offensive, stereotypical gay mm. neighbours thing comes in. To be honest, Lionel Blair's in it, uh, so you know. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's really bad. And do you know what? Also, this was unforgivable. For someone who's meant to be a cheeky London chappy, why the hell is he going, or some, someone in the film is going from wherever it was in South London, over Westminster Bridge to Finchley, and then back to Waterloo East Theatre? People, I don't understand. Why, why would you do that? That's... Your biggest problem with the film is the logistics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's not the biggest problem, but you know it's what, what, about. What it's route would you what what route would you take? Well, I would have carried on going up Waterloo, uh, Westminster Bridge, and not double back on myself to Waterloo Theatre. Mm, yeah. It's unfortunate because I actually walk past that theatre like every day on the way back from work, and that's how I recognised it. <laughs> but you know, it's meant to be about a cheeky London chappy who's a who's a taxi driver. You can't make these sort of elemental mistakes. It's outrageous. But yeah, it, it it's really dreadful. I didn't laugh once. Apart, from I don't when... know. I've been I've been in cabs in London where they think they know what they're doing. Then they take you to the wrong travel lodge <laughs> and claim it's the right one, but the back door. That's the knowledge, though. <laughs> Absolute <laughs> bullshitting bastard. But... At least a ten minute walk from the travel lodge is meant to be in the. Anyway, anyway. Carry on. So yeah. yeah, it it is really bad. I didn't laugh once, except for like an ominous ha ha when Rolf Harris showed up less than a minute in. Uh, it's like Jeremy Kyle meets Lady Killers, but I it's not even half as entertaining as Jeremy Kyle or the Lady Killers, and I hate Jeremy Kyle. So yeah, don't watch it. Just don't watch it, or do watch it and and validate me. I don't I don't <laughs> yeah. care. But I, got, I hate I got... James. Me I got it. 40 minutes in because I thought you were going to watch Condor Man as well you see so I thought well I'll I didn't give get around to it one for your wife a chance <laughs> 40 minutes in and I just gave up I, thought, I can't even be bothered I think I did pause it for a massive amount 40 minutes in and went and did something else <laughs> and then came back which is unheard of me you know, especially for an hour and a half film you know it's not a long film I, I do no. have quite a long attention span but did I just you, did, I, I couldn't endure it all in one go did you laugh once? yeah I did I did laugh when Rolf Harris turned around but only in a ha he's in prison type way. So did you did you laugh at anything like that the film wanted you to laugh at? Uh oh maybe I did have a little bit of a giggle at the uh classic um where he steps on a rake gag. Like just, Sideshow Bob. Yeah, just mm. because I've seen the uh the gif on the internet so many times and just the face he pulls while he's doing it is is fantastic. It is dire at his best, to be honest. He's he's found his level as the landlord of the Queen Vic, hasn't he? I think he pretty much has. I think he should just stay there. He's never gonna get a job as good as that, is he? Have you seen have you seen I caught a bit of these standards for the first time in a while? Did you see that Ian Beale was teaching him how to swim? No. Because <laughs> he couldn't swim for some reason. Uh, I missed that bit. So Ian Beale was teaching him, and I didn't watch a few, then I watched another one like a couple of weeks later, and he had to do, there was some swimming gala that was doing something for charity, and he had to swim the last lap, and he was all worried about it, but then he did it 
And Ian Bill was like really proud of him. Not being funny, but you wouldn't have caught Phil Mitchell doing that, would you? No. Well, not not in the day. I don't know. I don't and know as well as that, like Ian Bill's got to deal with like the case trying to find the murder of his daughter and he's teaching Danny Dyer to swim. It's, it's really heartwarming <laughs> stuff. It's Dyer at his best. This this it, film isn't Dyer at his best, I'm afraid. It's, just, it's, it's, just, it's just Dyer yeah. in every sense of the word. Literally, Dyer. Yeah. Yeah. Horrible. Thanks, James. Yeah. I hate you. <laughs> oh, what a dickhead James is. <laughs> <laughs> All three of us have come out of this situation thinking less of him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, the quiz must go on. Um, back to, to nil all, all round, and I'm going to, as is from my idea, start off this, this bout of quizzing. I'm going to start off in 1980 with a film called Brubaker. What, is it the Life and Times of the Captain America writer? I don't know. That's, that's a little, not. that's a little comics joke for you there. <laughs> little, <laughs> little, geek, little, little geek joke, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, going to skip to 1984, a film called Harriet's Son. Uh, 1989, uh, same year as what many might consider his big break, but this film isn't that. It's a film called Glory. No, can't even Ni- guess. No. 1991, he was in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Carol. Yes, Carol. Is it Christian Slater? It is not Christian oh. Slater. Uh, in 1995, they are in a film called Seven. Oh, Carol Morgan Freeman. It is Morgan Freeman. (laughs) What was his big break then in 1989? Driving Miss Daisy. Oh, of course. What a terrible film that is. Never seen it. (laughs) He he has been in a lot of films. I mean, if you've got... Like, when you go on someone's Wikipedia page, if you've got a separate page for your filmography, you've been in a, you've been in a lot of films. There's him and Sam Jackson. I bet Sam Jackson's got a separate oh, one Oh, of course well. he has. Of course he has. He's uh, going to be in Dolphin Tale 2, is his next film out after Lucy. Um, oh, there you go. Nice. Don't know what that's about. Didn't see the first one. Probably Dolphins. <laughs> Dolphins would be in it, yeah, I'm sure. Um, it's probably a sequel to Cove, the Japanese documentary. Isn't that the one with the girl out of heroes in it? Possibly. I've just had Morgan Freeman narrate it in his really dulcet tones, but actually you're just seeing (laughs) Japanese people slaughter whales. (laughs) The acceptable face of whale slaughtering. So, Carol has got one point then in the quiz. Owen, I will give you a bonus point if you can do an impression of Morgan Freeman. Silence. <laughs> there you go. There's an impression of Morgan Freeman being silent doesn't yeah, count. You've mistaken me for Rob Brydon, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah. um, on to the news then. Uh, big news and sad news once again coming out of film. Richard Attenborough passed away uh, this week. Um, start of many, many films, both as an actor and a director. Um, including The Great Escape, Jurassic Park, uh, directed Gandhi, among others. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously he lived to a, to a, a, a ripe old age. Yeah, um, definitely. Had, had a good innings, as it were. Yeah. Um, but still sad news, especially for somebody so well respected at his craft and seemingly so well liked as well. Yeah, I, I don't 
to be honest, I don't know a lot of his kind of older films. Obviously, uh, Gandhi, yes. And obviously Jurassic Park, which I think most people are going to, most people that I've seen have, have been paying tribute, mm-hmm. remembering from, because that's just our generation, isn't it? That's just, mm-hmm. that's just what we know him from. But I mean, uh, I, before I saw him in anything else, I probably saw him in Jurassic Park and Miracle on 34th yes. Street. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was watching a documentary. I, obviously, everyone's had all this stuff ready for a long time because he's. I used to live around the corner from me. Actually, he's been ill for a long, long time. I think he had a stroke at about. Six he was. Years he was. Ago. He was definitely living in a in a kind of nursing home or some kind. Yeah, he was living yeah. in that where I used to live. There were a couple of these like uh, nursing homes for retired entertainers. Who? Why hasn't someone written a sitcom about this? It didn't they do that with Jack? Didn't they do a film like that with Jack Nicholson, Morgan Freeman called The Bucket List? Uh, and they possibly. did quartet, sort of, which was entertainers, but opera people. I still think an ongoing sitcom would be brilliant because because there was that one, and then round uh, not very far from me, the other direction was one where Thora Heard and Captain Birdseye lived. Who wouldn't want to <laughs> see a sitcom about that? Amazing. But um, yeah, I digress. So the BBC were running a. Um, a documentary the other night because they've obviously had all this stuff ready for quite a long time because he's been ill for a while and I, di- I didn't realise how long Gandhi ma- uh, like took to make he was trying to make it for like 10 years and no one would give him the money and, and everyone was like begging him to cast a white person as as, the, as Gandhi basically uh, and he was resi- resisting everyone and he cast Ben Kingsley at the time who, who was unknown basically at the time um, and it was just yeah a real kind of testament to his kind of strength of character that he he just kept going trying to make this film it was and it turned out to be you know he was absolutely right and it picked up I don't know, 11 oscars or something and um yeah it's an amazing kind of testament to if if there's one if there's one film that kind of stands up as a testament to his strength of character then, it, then it's got to be gandhi really mm. and brighton rock of course is the one that um is the other film that most people have been paying tribute to him for because it's such an iconic British film, and he yeah. was fantastic in it. You know, he really was. Uh, James loved it. I'm, I like it. I don't didn't love it as much as James did, but it's it, it's a really good film, and it is mainly down to how convincing his portrayal of this this um, this character, this gangster who's controlling and dominating his, his girlfriend. It, it's really menacing, quite sinister. Yeah, he's it's completely quite, terrifying. He is. Yeah, the recording he makes is just one of the most. <laughs> Really disturbing um, acts a character's committed in one of those type of gangster films, and yeah, he's he he pulls it off really convincingly. Not that I'm accusing him of being a real gangster or anything. <laughs> no, acting. Yeah. Acting. <laughs> See that acting. He also tells John Wayne to put his gun away in um, a film called Brannigan, and that is quite convincing as well. I don't think many people could get away with telling John Wayne to put his gun away. <laughs> That, um, that was definitely one of those moments where, because if you'd only known him from being Santa Claus and John Hammond, <laughs> and you saw yeah. that and you were like, oh my God, <laughs> I, don't know, I just don't know what to think anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, he's also iconic for his role in The Great Escape, which is probably one of the most well-known films going, especially World War Two films. Mm. Um, but yeah, he's he's just... All round, um, yeah, fantastic. That's the director, like we said, and um, tributes have been paid to him from from everywhere, which is kind of expected. Yeah, 
Yeah, I really like the pit Robert Downey Jr. Uh, put a nice picture up because, of course, he directed Chaplin as well, mm. which I think a lot of people... I, I definitely forgot he directed that. But um, Robert Downey Jr. put up a nice uh, picture, like a back um, behind-the-scenes picture of them both when they were filming that. Um, and that's a fantastic film. I, I love that film. I need to watch it again, really. I've only seen half of it, but, I mean, I suppose he's kind of responsible for um, reviving... Robert Downey Jr.'s career, isn't he? Well, no, I think that was before he went off. Oh, was that before he went? Yeah, this Uh, was like this. Actually, I think that was like ninety-two, so that was over twenty years ago, I think. Um, It was definitely early nineties, but yeah, that I think that was his first Oscar nomination, and then he kind of went over the went over went over the edge, basically. But I'm sure that wasn't Rich Dethnifer's fault. <laughs> so far, he's been accused of being a gangster. He sent Robert Downey Jr. over the edge. Could be uh, let's, let's, let's leave him. Let's leave him with a nice tribute, then, which came from Mara Wilson, who played the girl in Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. She said uh, Richard Attenborough was the only Santa Claus she ever believed in. I feel really bad for her because she's also lost. Like uh, Robin Williams was her dad in Mrs. Doubtfire as well, wasn't wasn't he? I was trying to end it on a nice note, but thanks. <laughs> <laughs> just pretty pretty maudlin but yeah uh, we, we want to be positive she'll have lots of opportunities to network and get back into film in the next couple of weeks <laughs> <laughs> oh, too soon <laughs> anyway um, another bit of, uh, of news that we can think of is uh, Fright Fest has happened and we've had someone there yeah Mike Shawcross has been um, he was going anyway bless him but we just kind of Nabbed him the same way we nabbed Carol when she went to uh, the London Film Festival uh, and got him to cover it for us. So he's been tweeting all through the, the festival about what films he's seen, um, which we've retweeted. So if you follow our, our Twitter feed, at Failed Critics, you can sort of scroll through and, and see his mm, brief thoughts on nice his film. Nice plug. That nice plug, yeah. And another yeah. plug coming up, um, Big Foghorn. It was also got some um, articles on the website coming up as well. Um, in fact, I think by the time this podca- podcast gets published... Um, we'll have both of his diary entries for um, for the festival on the website, and we'll start posting some more full-length reviews. So stuff like the Den, All Cheerleaders Die, um, Since City of Dame to Kill for as well, which was shown at Fright Fest. They've all got um, reviews on the website, but we'll also be having interviews uh, posted. Um, in fact, we we spoke to or Mike spoke to uh, Jessica Cameron who is the director, writer and star of a film called Truth or Dare, which was shown at Fright Fest. And apparently she was really lovely, and her film is one of the sickest that um, was shown at Fright Fest, according to Mike, so that's something to look forward to. Um, but yeah, Jessica Cameron and another star of the film, Ryan Kaiser, is also um, in the interview as well. So that'll be going up soon, and yeah, we've got quite a lot coming out after Fright Fest. It sounds like it was uh, it went really well. Um, so well done Film 4 or whoever else was organising it I think we had Arrow there and View Cinema and Horror Channel as well so yeah it seems like it went really well and, and Mike seems to think it was the strongest Fright Fest that he's been to blimey so, yeah it's a lot of praise for, for this year's festival so that's all for part 1 then and in part 2 we will have what we've been watching <laughs> What we've been watching then when we take a look at the films we have seen aren't necessarily new releases in the last week or so. Um, both Owen and me have seen some of the Fright Fest films. Are we, 
I never quite worked out if we were okay to tell, tell people where we watched these things to. Because we're not. You mean when we went on holiday to America and we took a laptop with us? And we saw, yeah. them, saw them on their version of Netflix, you mean? See, see, cause I've, cause we're not actually doing anything illegal, are we? Because they're not, because we're not stealing them from anyone because they're not available in the U, on the UK Netflix. And I subscribe to the UK Netflix. Netflix, Yeah. And I, and I subscribe to Netflix anyway. So I, but they're not making these films available on the UK version. So I'm not stealing anything off of Netflix. I'm not stealing anything off of anyone else. I don't know about you, but someone comes into my house and sets it up. I've got no input into this whole situation. I just turn the laptop on and there it is. Yeah. Nothing to do with me, Gov. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, I do it myself. I subscribe to Unblock US. Oh, right. I use Uno Telly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, I personally think that... I don't think Netflix really do a lot to stop you from doing it, do they? Because I think they know that yeah. if they did... Their well, subscriber ha- numbers were probably yeah. half. You have you have to have a you have to have a Netflix account to be able yeah. to change it to the exactly. US one or the Canadian one or whatever. So, yeah, I don't think I'm doing anything wrong. I, I pay my money to Netflix. I pay my five ninety nine a month. A mm-hmm. uh, little bit extra for a for an US like like yeah. yourself, Steve. And uh, yeah, it's, it, get... if anything, it makes it more bearable to pay six pound a month for the selection that I get. Yeah. If I had to pay six pound a month and only got the UK one, I think I'd just unsubscribe. Yeah, well, you know, Run for Your Wife isn't on the US Netflix, so. No, that is very true. That's yeah. probably something, yeah, that's probably definitely in the positive tick for, exactly. the, for the US there service there. <laughs> I find Canada normally quite good. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for films Korea to films start on Netflix, and then I'll be all over. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, um, me and I have both seen some films that were featured at Fright Fest, uh, through Netflix US. Um, we've both seen The Den, haven't we? We have, yeah. And the director's seen my review. Just a little, um, humble brag. Tweeted yeah. my review. Yeah. We're best um, friends now. Me and Zach Donahue. Yeah. We're like that, you know, I've got my fingers. Did he nominate you, you for the Ice Bucket Challenge? <laughs> uh, no, I nominated him and then he declined. <laughs> I was, no, I, I hated. I hated mine. Horrible. I haven't been nominated. I, I, I have been. <laughs> I, I thought was... my brother was going to nominate me, but he nominated my other sister instead. So that was a win. Does that mean you're the favourite sister? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway, the den, which mm. is a home invasion movie, uh, with its kind of. I don't really want to say gimmick because it makes it sound a bit. It makes it sound cheaper rubbish. than it is. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it's it's gimmick for lack of a better word. It's it's all filmed uh, or viewed via webcam on kind of like a chat site. Um, yeah. A bit like chat roulette. Yeah, with with less knobs. Although some knobs. There there is some there is some <laughs> penis. There is, there is a, a there, wobbling. Yes, as, as you wonderfully termed it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it was it was really good, wasn't it? I yeah, I loved it. I thought it was um so different to what I was expecting. Um, um I I thought it was kind of for for home invasion films what paranormal activity the first one was for for scary ghost films. That's a really good analogy actually because it's kind of taken um an already existing genre and not subverted it but it's turned it into something Different, because there's a yeah. it's a it's a home invasion film with no actual people invading her home. That's the odd thing about it. It's all done online, um, rather than you know 
someone being dragged out of a bedroom or whatever, or hiding under the bed, or, you know, Your Next was out last year, and I really liked Your Next, I thought it was very good, but it is, uh, that's a typical house invasion film, Yeah. whereas whereas this is is not a typical house invasion film, or home no. invasion, I suppose is the correct term, because it's, sort of, the point of it is, it's invading your, your privacy, it's in your safe place, that's what makes it so, so different to to like a, a just a typical slasher film. Um and that's why it still works as a home invasion even without a guy in a mask and a knife breaking through her front door. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely it's you know definitely different but it's a bit of a twist on your mm. standard home invasion film using kind of um new technology be able to access people's homes or yeah. you know personal history through technology um, which I suppose is perhaps just as much an invasion of privacy as someone breaking into your home and having mm. a look around and... yeah and the point of course is still you know it's it's almost like a reflection back on the viewer why are you watching this what are you getting out of this you know like um, yeah. Michael Haneke's uh, funny games films that, that just flip the, the whole thing back around and say well look you're watching this why are you watching this if you're disgusted by it and you know it's wrong um, yeah. Which is a very clever thing to do, you know, putting you, because the whole film is, like you've said, from behind a webcam. You witness it from, um, the character Elizabeth's, um, computer screen. The whole thing. So it, it's, yeah, I, I found it fascinating. It was just so unusual. I, I think we both had problem with the, the ending, or the, the, the very, I certainly had a problem with the, the very ending. <clears throat> no, the, the kind of last scene. Really? Uh, um, yeah, I just, I just thought, I can't say too much about it for people who might want to watch it. It just <laughs> kind of like threw, threw a message in there at the last minute. Um, I don't think <coughs> it threw it in at the last minute. I think it was a build up to, cause it could have ended it in one of two ways really. You could have either ended it the way it did, or you could have ended it in a way that sets itself up to become like a franchise film. And I don't yeah. think it does. I think it sets itself up as a, look, you've watched this. What do you think about it? And I thought it was quite um, refreshing. It puts a, f- a sort of finality on it, an ending. Um, I said in my review, it puts just an exclamation mark there rather than a whimpering dot, 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 because that's what it tries to do. It tries to end it. It's a film, it starts, it has a middle, and then the, it has an ending, and then at the end there's just a, and there you go, that's what you get. Which was quite good. I liked it. I, I thought that the scenes before that were slightly contrived. I thought the way that the film... The plot wrapped itself up. It was a bit silly compared to what it was doing before. But at the yeah, same time, I, yeah. it was, you know, it, I thought I, I still enjoyed it. I, I think it was the atmosphere that continued throughout that was, that was impressive. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. I liked it. So I'm glad you liked it as well. Yeah, uh, I also saw, uh, on US Netflix as well, All Cheerleaders Die. Mm. Uh, which is a, I suppose, basically it's a zombie film. Yeah, it's a zombie it, film, it's a coven film. Um, yeah, a weird kind of slasher film, even. A bit I mean, supernatural, a bit meta. Yeah. yeah. Uh, basically a group of cheerleaders, uh, end up dying and are brought back to life by, um, one of the cheerleaders. Uh, friend or ex-girlfriend who's who's into pagan stuff and brings them back to life. Um, 
I didn't, re- I didn't really like it. I mean, that kind of film, I like, I like zombie films, I like that kind of film. Um, the plot was the kind of thing I've kind of seen before. I didn't really engage with any of the characters. I didn't really like any of the characters. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't really, you know, whether it was the, whether it was the guys that they were going after or the girls, I just didn't really like any of them, particularly think they were good characters or interesting characters and therefore didn't really root for them. And I suppose that's why I didn't like the film, which is a shame because on paper, I should have liked the film. It's the kind of film that I like, you know, not the greatest films of all time, obviously, but, you know, one that you enjoy watching for an hour and a half or so. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. I think you can watch it one of two ways. You can watch it as, you know, at face value, like you've, like you've said, you've, you've kind of done it and you appreciate it as this zombie cheerleader slasher film. Um, and you either like that or you don't. And that's fair enough. But I think there's another way to look at what it's doing, which is, it takes the kind of tropes and the standard um, characters of these kinds of films, of these weird slasher films or these supernatural things, or you've got the cheerleaders, you've got the jocks, and I think what it tries to do is strip away all the the excesses of, of these characters through the genre and starts again. It, it, it puts them back into, look, there's no baggage on this. this what, you've, what you see is what you get. Um... And I kind of appreciated it from that. I found it quite fun, though. I do I do think, on face value, it was still quite a fun film. But at the same time, I can understand why uh, why you wouldn't like it, especially the reasons you've given, because the characters are not um, endearing, shall we say. No. And, mm. yeah, there's not really any... <clears throat> not really well fleshed out or anything like that. There's not really... Yeah, I think it's more to do with what it's doing in the subtext with those characters, and you either like that or you just want to ignore it because all you want to watch is is the the film. <laughs> you watch it because it's about zombie cheerleaders, you know. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to patronise you or anything, Steve. I'm just saying there's two ways to watch it, and I think, yeah, I don't know. It depends. How much you like it is going to depend on what you're expecting from the film. Okay, so Owen, uh, give us a summary then of the other Fright Fest films you've seen. Yeah, uh, well, the other film, I suppose the biggest one that's also on US Netflix, um, and was shown at Glasgow Fright Fest earlier in the year as well, was Wolf Creek 2, um, which was really good, actually. Have, you, have either of you seen the first Wolf Creek? No. Yes. You have? Okay, yeah. what did you think of Wolf Creek? It was alright. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I think it was. I remember it being quite unsettling, though, quite disturbing. It was very disturbing. I thought yeah. it was. Um, it, it. I don't know whether you describe it as kind of torture porn. For a large portion of it, anyway, there's a lot of torture going on in the film. Wolf Creek Two is not as heavy on that. There's still there's still that kind of thing in there, and it's still really difficult to watch parts of it. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a lot more uh, engaging as a film. I found Wolf Creek, the first one, very difficult to enjoy. Whereas this has got more to it. There's more humour with it. Um, I think Greg McLean, the, the director, has kind of grown a bit more. Because um, he was originally part of that... Well, I don't know whether you've heard of the term, but the Splat Pack of group of directors who were making these sort of horror films. And he made Rogue as well, which was a really good Australian film. Um, and Wolf Creek 2, yeah, it sort of continues in the same thing. You've got Mick, the serial killer, serial killer, um, Australian outback kind of guy who hates the foreigners all invading his, 
his town. Um, it's it's similar plot really. Plot is pretty much the same, but it's just better. It's done it a lot better. Um, yeah, it was really good fun. Um, but as I say, it's been out a while. I think, a lot, I think a lot of other people have seen it already. But the other film that was shown at Fright Fest was something called Stage Fright. Now, I've recommended this to James, and I recommend it to people who do like this sort of film. It's a musical giallo. You know, uh, you, you know what a giallo is? The Italian slasher things with the guy in a hood and a knife and you never see their face till the end. That kind of pulpy um, slasher movie. It's a musical of that. It's sort of like um, Glee. And I don't like Glee. I'm not a fan of Glee. I'm not a fan of musicals in general. Um, but there's... I, I know people who've seen it and do like it for what it is and I just don't, I just don't like it. It starts off being quite decent. There's a lot of humour in it. It's played for laughs mainly. Um, but it just descends into this gimmicky, generic slasher. And it just does nothing for me. Um, I did watch another kind of musical horror not too long ago. Sweeney Todd. Because some other people told me that that was a good Tim Burton film. And those people are wrong. <gasps> it's not. You Outrageous. don't like it, do you? No. I love Sweeney Todd, but I like the stage show a lot. Uh, and I thought it was a good film version as well. Yeah, I didn't particularly enjoy it. I kind of... The ending, it was okay. I thought the ending was okay to Sweeney Todd, the, the musical thing. But the rest of the film was so tedious. So, so tedious. But you just don't like people singing through stuff, though, do you? Why Why do they have to sing Because <laughs> it's a musical, Owen. <laughs> it just... Uh, trying it's to make things rhyme, and it, and it doesn't make sense, and it's just, no, fuck off. Can't be doing with that. <laughs> So stage fright, well, yeah, I mean, if you like musicals and you like horror films, you probably like it. I don't like musicals, but I like horror films, and I thought it was all right. I'm just going to like it to spite you, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but the the only other film that I really want to talk about, I guess... Uh, well, there's two films, but I'll very quickly skim over one of them. Bad Milo, which is about a bloke who has a growth inside of his ass. And this growth comes out and starts killing people that upset him. Yeah. I sort of wish I had one of those. <laughs> it looks very uncomfortable. Especially on Twitter sometimes. It's about the, it's about the size of a football when it comes out of his arse and then goes back in his arse. So that's probably not the most comfortable um, experience. But it's a bit like Basket Case, the modern Basket Case. Um, so it's quite, it's alright, quite funny. Um, chap. In it, I can't remember his name. I should have looked this up. I'm really sorry. He's quite good. He's quite believable as this guy who's got this extreme agony in his gut and has to deal with his father issues and his job's really shit and his wife wants a baby and he doesn't really think he's going to be a good father because of his father issues. Um, but trying to look for any deeper context in it is fruitless. It is just about a guy who has a monster that lives in his ass. That's it really. And it kills people. And it's quite amusing, in a childish, immature sort of way. That's the sort of high-concept stuff that Michael Bay needs to get back to doing, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's better than a lot of Michael Bay films I've seen, put it that way. <laughs> um, but the other film, the final film that it was shown at Fright Fest that I want to talk about, isn't really a film, it's a documentary. It's called Doc of the Dead. Um, and it's kind of a documentary that starts off by looking at the history of zombies in cinema. So it goes back to, it goes over a lot of grain of things I already kind of knew anyway. But it was still quite interesting to watch. They talk about, you know, 
um, white zombie and they talk about I walked with a zombie and talked about how the origins of the, the zombie culture came from um, either voodoo curse or sometimes it was alien parasites when the sort of 40s and 50s sci-fi films really took hold um, you know it was all because of UFOs and that kind of thing and it wasn't really until Night of the Living Dead in 1968 which is my favourite film of all time came out and changed everything um, even though it never refers to them as zombies and George Romero in the documentary kind of thinks um, that he invented a new kind of creature and it was only when some article in New York came out and they sort of referred to his film as having zombies that suddenly they were like oh for fuck's sake we've, <laughs> we haven't invented anything new these these exist already um, which is quite amusing but then it goes on to look at the more like zombie culture that's developed from there um, how these these things have just sprung up in pop culture and how now every other app seems to have zombie on it and it's just taken over where it's come from so it's really fascinating if you've got any interest in zombie films or the history of zombie films or even looking at how it influences things today then yeah worth the watch Doctor of the Dead totally um, really interesting but that was it really there, there are a couple of other films on US Netflix that I think were shown at um, the Fright Fest I think Drew the Man Behind the Poster uh, which is about Drew Struzan, who's an artist, an iconic artist, who's drawn lots of cover photos and posters and stuff. He did the, um, did he do the Raiders of the Lost Ark poster, and, and he's done all the Indiana Jones ones, and he did the Star Wars ones as well? Possibly. Maybe, yeah. I didn't watch it in the end. I didn't find time before we um, did the podcast, because I was too busy watching Condor Man and Run For Your Wife. But um, <laughs> 40 minutes of Run For Your Wife. Don't pretend like you wife. endured the whole thing. No, I didn't. I switched <laughs> off, and then I watched Sin City. The first Sin City again. So, But, um, no, so the, the, that's on US Netflix as well. I'm sure there are a couple of others probably dotted about in, you, you know, Canadian Netflix or weirdly the ones that pop up in like Brazilian Netflix or the Dutch Netflix every so often but yeah those are the ones that I've seen anyway and um, I'm sure all the other films that Shorky's talked about like uh, Truth or Dare the Jessica Cameron film or The House at the End of Time I think it's called which you also really enjoyed gave that one 5 out of 5 so I'm expecting a lot from that but um, yeah that was it really that's all I saw I don't know about um, you Steve whether you saw any others no, that was just two that I managed to see. Uh, Carol, what have you seen this week? Um, just run for your wife, really, and that sort of like I I just lost all interest in film and indi- <laughs> and indeed life. Uh, so I've just seen the other the other film that I've seen this week is uh, Lucy, which I think we're going to talk about in a little while, or are we going to talk about it now? Uh, we'll have a little break. Do what we usually do for new releases. All right. Um, why break a tried and tested format, really? Um, but did you see, this is gonna go, this will, this will come back full circle to what you just said about run for your wife. Did you see that, um, after the World Cup, a Colombian lawyer is trying to sue the a referee from their game against Brazil for damaging the nation's spirit or feelings or good fit, something like that. Are you considering doing the same about run for your wife? <laughs> Should I sue Danny Dyer? Oh no, I don't really. To be fair, I don't really think it's Danny Dyer's fault. I think it's more the producers of the film. Mm. Danny mm. Dyer was mentored by Harold Pinter. He, yes. he goes on about it a lot. He was in. He was. Uh, he was on the. Um, he was on stage at the Pinter Theatre quite a lot, if I remember correctly, before his film career took off in inverted commas. 
Um, yeah, I think that might be a good idea because there aren't, I'm really sorry to keep banging on about this, but really it did offend me so much. Um, there aren't many films where I, I, I quite often hear people use the phrase, I want that time of my life back. There aren't many films where I've actually felt that. Normally, I, I, I like watching a film all the way to, I, I will always watch a film all the way to the end unless I fall asleep. Um, and, you know, normally I, you know, I don't feel like you know, there's an hour and a half of my life that's been wasted and I want it back. But I genuinely do want that 90 minutes of my life back. If if anyone that was involved with Run For Your Wife is listening, <laughs> if you could make that up for me, then that would be really appreciated. Because, yeah, I, I, I just felt, like, so miserable afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't even endure any more, any more films. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, if that could be if that could be arranged, that would be that would be appreciated. Thank you. Okay, that's all for what we've been watching. Our next is our uh, new release reviews of Lucy and Sin City Two. So, time to review some new releases now. Uh, first up is Lucy, uh, which stars Morgan Freeman, Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson is a woman who has her brain bolted with by some drug and it goes really clever and stuff. Here's a clip. Somebody put a bag of drugs inside me and you to take it out. It's leaking. It is estimated most human beings only use 10% of their brain's capacity. Imagine if we could access 100%. Interesting things begin to happen. Yes. Professor Norman, my name's Lucy. I just read all your research on the human brain. It's a little rudimentary, but you're on the right track. So then, that was a clip of uh, Lucy. I think both Carol and Owen have seen this one. So, Carol, why don't you start us off with uh, reviewing Scarlett Johansson's latest outing? Uh, and and probably the first one where she's actually headlined a film for quite a long time. I can't remember the last time she was actually like the leading the leading person in the film. Now, um, under the skin. Oh yeah, alright. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean I didn't mean to say, make you sound like an idiot. Then sorry, it just it just came straight to my head as I thought. In I my defence, it yeah. wasn't it wasn't a very wide release, was it? And uh, no. and and also it was um, a bit weird. So anyway, um, yeah. So she plays uh, Lucy, surprisingly enough, who's um, basically unwittingly um, involved in in basically being a drugs mule. Uh, but the problem is she she's carrying this drug which is based on the one in Limitless, basically, but it looks more like the one from Breaking Bad. They've <laughs> they've just put a little bit of topical topical stuff mm. in there. And um and it breaks inside her and she starts absorbing it all and, and her brain goes from accessing ten percent <clears throat> to one hundred percent of her of her cerebral uh abilities. And uh it, it's extraordinarily boring, to be honest, for, for a film. Yeah, I just I just got really bored. I think the the reason the reason they put in so many of those animal cutaways was because they realised Luke Besson realised that it was getting quite tedious. There are the, there are a number of these silly like cutaways um, because there's this bit at the beginning where she's being chased and it kind of gets interspersed with a, an antelope and a uh, what was it? I can't remember what it was. Now a leopard or something, wasn't it? And it's like, and they yeah. like Family Guy cutaways. Well, pretty... no, it's just stock footage. <laughs> it's just a lot of stock footage. So it's like really hammering home the point that yes, yeah, she's being she's being chased and she's going to have her throat torn open by a leopard. 
but obviously she doesn't. But you know, it, it just kind of hammers home the point, and you're like, yeah, I I get it. I I understand that she is being chased by these people. Uh, you don't you don't need to back that up with nature footage. Uh, I, what did you think of that? I mean, I thought it really really annoyed me actually after a while. It was a bit simple uh, and repetitive. And I think it kind of acted as filler as well, to be honest. Um, yeah, I didn't like the, the stock footage stuff at all. None of it seemed to fit. And it just, like you said, it, it was patronising. It really was patronising. Because yeah. you just get this, this clip of the leopard or whatever chasing the antelope. And it would just go on and on and on. And then they'd show it again in slow motion. And then you just have more of the stalking. And it was just, like you say... You get it. You know what you're talking about. We understand already, Luke Besson. Move on. Carry on. <laughs> We've got it. Keep going. Yeah, I'm I'm not really happy with the film that, that com- comes out with such a stupid premise for a start, by the way. 10% of our brains. Which, is, which isn't scientifically accurate, I believe. It's No, it's not very scientifically <laughs> accurate at all. It's, a, it's, a, it's a quite a common myth, though, isn't it? Yes, yes, it mm. is. Probably because films like this, and Limitless, I think, runs on the same lines, doesn't it? If I, I remember know. correctly. I don't know, I have seen them at this, but I Better, better than the book, actually. But anyway, I digress. Um, and yeah, so it just, it was kind of offensive that it comes out with such a stupid premise, but then also Nick feels need to, yeah, as, as Owen said, patronise us with hammering home these the certain points. Like, we're stupid enough to believe what your film is about, but we need to have things explained to us because we are that stupid. And, um. On, on levels of bad science, is it, um, Day after tomorrow and 2012 bad. No, not quite. No, it's not that bad. No. There's no neutrinos mutating or anything. There's no ice, ice chasing impossible. you along a wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like that's happening. Great. No one's running away from the wind. Yeah. It's just, uh. <laughs> it's just... Happening, happening didn't happen in my mind. It's not, it doesn't exist. What does happen? I exist? like happening. happening. What? I like it. I don't know, I don't know the happening. I don't, I don't understand. With anyway, uh, Mark Wahlberg and M. Night Shyamalan. And Wind. I can't believe that no one's getting that. Anyway. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Move on. It's all right, we'll fix that in post. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, we won't. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it, it was pretty annoying. And also, like, the, the way that they took the, the idea... Yeah, all right, let's just say, okay, for argument's sake, all right, fine, we use 10% of our brains, whatever. If we did... Uh, only use 10% and then it went up. What would be the next logical like move? It wouldn't really be chucking people around the room, I don't think, personally. Uh, if you've got any basis for this? Well, no. Are you a scientist? Neither does Luke Besson. I, mm. I would I would definitely go with the kind of getting faster and, and being stronger and things, but actually throwing people around the room by telekinesis, I'm not not sure I about just, that. I just think you'd be able to read quick like Johnny Five. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. Morgan Freeman, I mean, his character, he did spend 20 years researching it, so careful what you're questioning there, Carol. <laughs> he spent 20 years researching and his, his, his hypothesis was you could not only control your own matter, you can control matter from around you as well. But there's no... Not, not, e- not even Louis Van Gaal can control matter. <laughs> <laughs> but there's no... Weird, that, that's a big leap, though, isn't it? There's no it's kind massively. of... There's no theory, you know, if you're going to make up pseudoscientific bollocks, at least make it, like, semi-believable and have, like, a line of... of yeah, I, I watch superhero movies all the time. I know what I'm talking about here. I know I know pseudoscientific bollocks when I see it. <laughs> and, you know, some people can make it believable and some people can't. 
And yeah, I was just I was just quite bored really, especially towards the end. I'm not going to give it away or anything because obviously some people may not have seen it and, and Steve hasn't seen it. But um, I felt the ending was just a bit kind of didn't you know? It's just kind of oh okay, that's that's happened. It was a little bit inevitable in the sense that you kind of knew where she would end up. Oh being, yeah, yeah, definitely. The character anyway. Yes. You, you kind of understood that. Because, I mean, they make a point of it, don't they? It's one of these other pseudo-scientific bollock phrases that comes up and he says, what happens when you get to 90%? Oh, well, you can control space, time, and everything else. And then what happens when you get to 100%? Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can hypothesize right up to 99% above 100% of your brain means... That last 1% is weird. That's it. Nobody knows. (laughs) What What else can you control other than time, space, and everything? Other than time, space, and everything. Yeah, a PlayStation um, without a controller. Antimatter, I guess. The number forty-two. <laughs> you can control everything and nothing. You could play PlayStation without a controller while you're waiting for it to charge up. Now that would be that would be impressive. <laughs> that would be amazing. Come back or to you me could just skip the updates on the PlayStation. Oh you just God, skip yeah. them. It's already on there. Yeah. That would be the superpower. That's to have. useful stuff. Trying <laughs> <laughs> space and time for rubbish, but I, I, yeah. I didn't really feel the other thing that actually I wanted the point I wanted to make about the film as well was that I didn't really feel that her powers were very well. Some some of her powers weren't very well demonstrated. So there's literally an expo- uh, exposition bit in the middle, which is just five minutes of her on the phone saying, "Oh, I can feel this, and I can feel this." Like, but you know, we we don't know. You know, she literally has to spell it out for us. They they do some good visualization of stuff, like especially when she gets close to people and she can like X-ray them and stuff like that. That was quite good. Mm. But um, yeah, there's there's literally a bit in the middle where she has to sit down on the phone and say, "Yes, this, these are the powers I have." Tick tick, like literally ticking them off a list. And uh, yeah, I, I just I think they, didn't... they do try to avoid that a little bit by having this speech from Morgan Freeman at the start that says what happens when you get to 40% and 50% and 60%. And as he gets through it, they come up with these little title cards that just say 60%. And then you've kind of, you're left to remember what she could do at that point. I think they, they do try to avoid it as much as possible, but you're always going to have exposition in a film that's sort of 89 minutes long or whatever it is, 85 minutes long. Um, and it's really a fast-paced film as well. Everything just happens really quickly. It's very much a Luke Besson film, I think, in that sense, because it's a very, very quick, jumpy, um, moving from one point to the next point as quick as possible kind of film. So I don't know, I kind of forgave it a little bit for some exposition, and also for some of the pseudo-scientific bollocks, because it's preposterous, and they know it's preposterous. I get the feeling they know that it's just ridiculous. Um... I don't know. I liked it, really. I don't think it was boring. I, I didn't mind some of it. I thought some of the action was really good, and it was nice to have uh, a film that didn't didn't um, skimp on the gore as well. Mm. And it was quite nice to see it's done so well in the States, because it's, bas- it's got, like, what, what, according to Hollywood, are the two death, death nails, which is uh, a female lead and blood. Uh, mm. So it is nice to have seen it do so well, but Honestly, I, I feel that it could have been a better film. I, I think what I'm doing is stacking up next to Limitless. I'm not saying Limitless is a classic by any stretch of the imagination, but there's like a clear there's a clear narrative in Limitless that tells you exactly what's happening, and, the, and there are logical leaps. 
um, and it's and it's quite exciting and and stuff. And basically, Lucy's trying to do it, and it, sometimes it succeeds, but most of the time it just doesn't. Uh, pretty much, but I think that's probably yeah. what it suffers from. I think if if you want a film that's quite gritty and based in some sort of realism, you're gonna not enjoy Lucy. I think if you don't enjoy films with these preposterous pseudoscience theories. You ain't gonna enjoy Lucy either. Um, but if you, I mean, if you just want a silly, quite fun, fast-paced European thriller, it's also got this like violent, revenge-driven Korean aspect to it. You know, Choi Min-sik, who we haven't mentioned at all, but is one of the most well-known Korean actors in the West. He's he's brilliant in it. I think. Is he the boss um, man? He's the boss man. Yeah, he's, he's quite the big good. Ga- gangster boss. Yeah, he's really he's really good. Um, I like his scene, actually, um, without trying to give it anything away that's crucial to the plot, but the scene where he gets a translator in. Yes. And then just sort of walks out of the room. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was a really good scene. Um, and he was, he was, he was a good actor in it as well. I liked, um, I'm gonna get the pronunciation of his name wrong as well, but I'm sorry. But, uh, Amir Wackard, who's, I think it's the first time I've really noticed him in a film. I've seen him in a few other things, but it's the first time I've really sort of noticed actually he was pretty good in in Lucy. Um, so I think the performances in it are quite good. Yeah. And it is fairly short, and like I said, it's very quick, and you know, I don't think it's one of those that you'll be clock-watching um, through, apart from when it's just lots of repetition of sort of stock footage. Um, <laughs> other than that, I thought it was quite good. It might not be so good on a repeat viewing. I think the things that I did enjoy it might kind of deteriorate with each uh, repeated viewing, but mm, I don't know. For one time watch, and if you're in the mood for it, and you kind of know what to expect, I think it's quite good. Yeah, I think I was just, I just felt slightly let down because I was expecting something probably a bit more intelligent. I don't really know why. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I feel, yeah, if you were in an extreme switch your brain off type mode and you, and you didn't really kind of care and you didn't really let these little niggly things eat away at you, then, then it's probably, it's probably a, a fairly entertaining, like, uh, use of, of 90 mm. minutes. But uh, yeah, yeah. There, there are some good bits in it. The the the, the action's good. The um, performances are good. Like Scarlett Johansson's pretty good, although she can be a bit uh, kind of listless at times, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, generally that. Yeah, so actually, just to remind me, some of her scenes where she's kind of looking out of the window and she's imagining all these different lines that she can see coming out of people's heads and stuff, going up to the sky, all these different coloured lines. That was ridiculous. She looked ridiculous doing that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just yeah. like, oh right, yeah, lines, cool. Anyway, um, so yeah, that yeah, the performances weren't the problem, uh, and I just felt the ending kind of dragged on quite a lot. Uh, but um, yeah, you know, it's, it's if you're not expecting much, then then you're not going to be disappointed. To be honest, it sounds like you enjoyed it a bit more than me, though. I mean, I think oh. I did, but um, you know, <laughs> it doesn't really make Say a difference. Does it? It, I can see why some why you wouldn't enjoy it as much, and I think it's equally valid reasons. Okay. And Owen's also seen Sin City 2, uh, Dame to Kill For. Uh, how did you rate that one? Uh, again, this was quite an, a difficult one to rate because it, it is what it is. I mean, have you seen the first Sin City? Yes. A long okay. time ago, but yes. Yeah, okay. So it is just a return to the same city, but with other stories in it. That's, that's pretty much all the film is. Um, the first film was comprised of, I think, four different stories um, involving different characters that actually all end up intertwining. Um, 
this takes the intertwining stories to another level. Things are a bit more involved um, with each other. But I, I like it. I, I do like it. I honestly want to try and defend it because it's Robert Rodriguez. And I really like Robert Rodriguez. I think he's a very good director. Um, but it, is it a great film? Difficult to say. Difficult to say. The, the, the thing it has in, um, in abundance is style. It's got absolutely tons of really strong, uh, quite good looking visuals to it. And when I say quite good looking visuals, I'm not just talking about the fact Diva Green spends 80% of her screen time in the buff. Probably 90% in the buff as well. Um, she, she obviously, she looks stunning. The film is sold on the fact that all these female actresses in it are meant to be these hyper-realistic, um, beautiful women who, uh, men just fawn over and that's, that's the point of them. So, as a sort of femme fatale, siren-esque character, she's great. She's very good in it. She steals the scene, whatever scene she's in. Um, not just because she's naked, but because she's a very good actress as well. I think she sort of shows that she's very suited to this kind of noir, crime, thriller-esque type story. So that's very good. Visuals, as I say, very good. Everything is still in black and white, except you have these, like, uh, bits of colour that pierce the, the images every so often. So whether it's someone's green eyes or whether it's a, a red blood splatter. Actually, some of the blood in it is... It, what they use is... Um, Instead of it being red, it's white. And I think when it, when it looks white, and it just looks like, you know... Because the, the comic that it's based on is black and white. So when it's the white bits, it's very good at um, still having quite a big impact when you see someone's throat cut and the blood goes everywhere and it's just, just basically blank paper is what it's supposed to, to be. It looks really good, uh, and it's quite a sort of, sort of nice nod to the original source material as well. But one thing I do like about... Sin City and Sin City 2. Um, just going back to a debate that crops up on here every other podcast is the fact that it's not a PG-13 at all. It is definitely, definitely an 18 film. Um, and you know, you don't get too many 18 rated comic book adaptations. And so it's quite refreshing. I mean, when it came out in 2005, you know, that was really, other than Blade 2 and The Punisher, this was the first comic book adaptation to be rated so, so highly. Um, and so Sin City, A Dame to Kill For, kind of carries on that tradition of being just really violent. Um, which is fair enough. Have either of you, uh, perhaps not Steve, but I know Carol, you also read comics. Have you read any of Frank Miller's, uh, Sin City comics? No, I haven't. Um, it's one of those things that's been on the list for ages, uh, but doesn't ever seem to be particularly cheap in Forbidden Planet. <laughs> it's never basically. cheap, is it? I think I ended up getting them at the library in the end. But the, um, A Dame to Kill For is a really, really good comic. Um, it's been a few years since I, I read it, so I couldn't really remember any of the particulars about it. Um, but it seems to be quite a faithful adaptation from what I can remember, while still putting a new, um, spin on it. The themes seem the same, the characters are quite um, recognisable and it it does just look like a comic book. That's the whole point of the Sin City films, I think, is it's just this um, black and white noir comic book story. Um, so it looks great. Um, it plays as a note to the original comics. However, uh, admittedly, it, it the stories are a little bit flimsy. 
com- particularly compared to the previous film. Mm-hmm. Um, the stories themselves, they're just a little bit weak. Um, there's still stuff to enjoy. If you just want to watch a film um, about some people set in Basin City, then it's good. And that's what that's all I wanted to see. I wanted to see, um, you know, Mickey Rourke again as Marv. I wanted to see um, Bruce Willis again. Um, I wanted to see Powers Booth, who is brilliant in this. Actually, re- really revels in his role. Powers Booth, um, fantastic. Uh, Eva Green again. She, she's fantastic. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is in it, and he's pretty good as this sort of wisecracking, cocksure, uh, quite lucky gambler who gets mixed up in gambling in the wrong wrong places and he's too sure of himself and his story is quite good um, but it's just not as good as the comic and it's not as good as the first film which is why it falters a little bit because it is it's just going to be compared to them it's inevitable it's unavoidable it will be compared to to the things it's adapted from and the comic's better previous film's better but it is still still a decent film I mean, it's only um, out in 3D at the moment I believe and then is it? Did you say it was out on Friday? In 2D? It, it's um, proper, properly speaking, it's in previews at the moment, even though it did come out hmm. on Monday. So it's showing in ten Cineworld cinemas in 2D at the moment. None of them are in London. Uh, <laughs> so I'm waiting until uh, uh, Friday or Saturday where I can go and see it in, in, in all its 2D glory. Uh, yeah. Because I don't, I don't like watching films in 3D unless I have to, uh, or unless it's worth it. Um, yeah, I, it's not worth it's it. Not it's worth not it. worth going to see in 3D. No, exactly. So it's, has it been worth the, the nine-year wait? Because it's been a long, long time since. A very long time. That That is an unnaturally long time in Hollywood, in Hollywood years, between yeah. sequels. Yeah, it is. It is really long. Especially because the first film was such a su- surprise success, you know. It won um, awards for its visual style. Uh, was it even shown at, like, Cannes Film Festival, I think? And yeah. it went down really well there. Um which, you know, for a comic book film was just unheard of. So it's done done fantastically well, the first film. And then, you're right, it's been... I think the first film was 2005. This is obviously 2014, so it's it's nine years. Is it worth the wait, though? Um, I, mm, I don't know, it's tough. Because it's quite a long time to leave it to... to give you a sense of, well, actually, I would quite like to revisit this city mm-hmm. and revisit these characters but it, it does disappoint a little because it's it's not as good as I wanted it to be um, and I don't know whose fault it is either I don't know who to lay the blame at because the, the stories are obviously Frank Miller's stories he's co-directed this as well as adapted his own book to a screenplay uh, Robert Rodriguez is there who you know I've only seen like a handful of bad films out of his whole um, catalogue so yeah, I don't really know whose fault it is, <laughs> or if it's anybody's fault, or if it's just my fault for expecting more. I'm not sure. Let's not forget that Frank Miller directed The Spirit. That's true. <laughs> he did. Um, I just think he's had a, sorry. a very strange. He's had a very strange career in film because yes. he did Robocop, Robocop Two script, and that was completely butchered. And the, the film that went out was supposedly nothing like what he wrote and. It was another one of those where, well, the film Robocop 2 didn't do as well as the previous film, so is he just trying to distance himself from it? I don't know. But then he did Robocop 3, and his script again was supposedly butchered and made into this sort of PG film. Um, so, he's had a very checkered career. It was Sin City that kind of brought 
attention back to him. And Batman Begins, of course, which was borrowing heavily from uh, from Year One. Yeah, I so. I just think that I think that the problem with obviously I haven't seen the film, but I think the problem with the reception it's got, and it hasn't had a very good reception at all, is is twofold really. Right, first obviously the the gap has been massive. And mm-hmm. it, if they'd have stuck out another one two or three years after the first, then probably people's expectations wouldn't have been quite so high. But you know, the thing you're thinking, well, it's been nine years; they must have had something pretty, pretty special. I think they were, weren't they, waiting for um, Angelina Jolie at, at first, and she was going to be the dame, and then they kind of gave up in the end. Um, well, I think uh, I don't really, I don't know where we're going with this conversation, <laughs> but part of it is that Eva Green is naked quite a lot. Oh, <laughs> right. yeah. Okay. So if Angelina Jolie was in the role, whether that was a, an issue. Not normally I'm an not issue sure. for her, really. Well, she's had some surgery since. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess so, yeah. Fair point. Um, but my other point <laughs> was going to be, I think everyone's just kind of uh, caught up with, with Sin City now, because when it came out, it was, it was kind of groundbreaking. Obviously, the visual effects mm. were amazing and stuff. Um, but, but now, but since then, you've had, um, obviously at the, at the time, uh, so 2005, what were you having, like X-Men 2, Spider-Man 2? Um, and really now, kind of comic book films have, have caught up with it. Um, you've got things like uh, Watchmen came out, obviously, like a few years yeah. after that, and some some of, of those shots were replicating the, the panels in Watchmen, were like literally yeah. down down to the down to the minutest detail. That's right. So, yeah. uh, and and, and you know, three hundred, of course, and three hundred, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, they they kind of raise the bar for for um, kind of spectacle and, and for keeping things. Um, in in line with with their comic books, but also mm-hmm. you've got this whole kind of gritty, darker stuff from you know Batman. Batman's really gritty and dark now. Interestingly, though, still rated the same as X Men and uh, Spider Man. What's in City? Uh, no, uh, Batman. The Batman films. Oh, on where they're not they're they're violent. You watch them and you think, well, this is a better oh, right, crime yeah, family. Sorry. But yeah, the Batman films, as dark as we seem to think they are. The ratings people seem to suggest otherwise. Well, it's because there's no blood. You can you can slam a pencil <laughs> into a guy's eye, no problem, as long as there's no yeah. blood. It's absolutely fine. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, so we, we've kind of got past the whole. You know, comic books on screen aren't really just superheroes anymore. You've you've had things like I don't know, Road to Perdition had already been out, I think. Mm-hmm. But you've um you, you've had lots of violence and history of violence. Yeah. There was the um. That wasn't there were recent Tom Cruise film that was based on one as well. I think actually it was um, the one that he's Oblivion. just done, but I can't remember the name of it. Oh, I saw um, it; it was really good. Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that was based on the comic book as well. So, so we've moved past the whole idea of, of just superheroes being uh, adapted for the for the screen. So I think everyone's just kind of like moved on a bit, really. And I think it's a shame because yeah, if this had been put out two or three years after Sin City, everyone would have been quite excited about it and possibly it would have had a better reception um, but as it is I, I think everyone's just kind of moved on okay yeah um, which is a shame that, that really brings an end to that review and this podcast for this week um, just some recommendations quickly before we go I have not seen this film before 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's on Sunday afternoon on Follow the USA. It's uh, quarter to two. It's Ben Hur. Lots of people say it's really good, so I'm going to give it a watch. <laughs> You've never seen Ben Hur? No. None of it? No. Or my, <laughs> you, must have seen seen the chariot. you must have seen the chariot racing. Uh, probably, yeah. <laughs> like um, ten, wow. minutes That's of, ten minutes of it on Christmas Day after dinner. Uh, exactly, yeah. <laughs> If you time it right, you just get the one hour that's worth watching and then avoid <laughs> the three hours of it that's not. <laughs> uh, yeah, it does seem to be on telly for four and a quarter hours, so it might be worth recording and fast forwarding for the adverts. Uh, Owen? Well, um, I was going to pick a film that's on uh, US Netflix, but I'm not sure whether I can do that now. Because <laughs> I was going to just pick The Den, which is... Worth watching, and yeah, it's very good, and we've reviewed it. Done. Okay, fair enough. Done. Fine. Over. Carol? Uh, well, Monday's a momentous occasion. Uh, I don't know if you're aware, but I'm a little bit of a Ghostbusters fan, and on Monday, we are getting, for the first time on Blu-ray, Ghostbusters 2 is coming out. <laughs> yes! I can't wait. My, my copy is on order. I will be watching it on Monday night. Hail Vigo. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that's all for this week's podcast. Thanks to everyone who's contributed, uh, listened, downloaded. Um, keep your eye on the website www.felcritics.com because we're going to have lots of good articles, especially uh, the stuff from Fright Fest going up uh, in the next week or so. And we'll be back around the same time next week with another podcast. likes it through nostalgia I think if you did see it as a kid then perhaps if you're a bit simple you might enjoy it (laughs) but I just uh, I hated it it was so so boring so boring I was thankful it was only 90 minutes long yeah that was it really (laughs) short and scathing yeah and scathing (laughs) damning Um, so Carol Run for Your Wife, starring uh, Danny Dyer, Neil Morrissey, Denise Van Alton, and your one out of Girls Allowed. Yeah, that's actually what I've got written in my notes, your one out of Girls Allowed, word <laughs> for word. I don't know what her name is. Um, but it comes to something when when you say, oh, you're one from Girls, Girls Allowed's in it, and she's not by far the worst thing in it. I mean, I I enjoy a bad film. This is, this is why James picked this for me, I think. I do enjoy a bad film. Like, but the in the so good it's bad category. Like, I, I'm a big fan of the ones that you see on Sci-Fi at about eleven o'clock at night. That's that's fine. That's that's the level I enjoy. This was on a whole new level of shit. This was just unbelievably bad. I was checking my watch ten minutes in 
that that's how bad it was. It was le- I think it was less than a ha- an hour and a half as well, uh, and and I felt every moment of that. Honestly, it was. Oh, I should actually just tell you what the plot is. It's actually based on. Apparently, I've, I've just been reading about this earlier. I didn't know it was based on a very long-running um, stage show that ran in the seventies for about nine years. So it had it had a fair old run. But you can tell it's come from the seventies because what they've tried to do is, is take a seventies slapstick uh, farce and put it into present day with just horrendous and offensive results <laughs> like the whole the whole treatment of uh homosexuality especially and women it's just oh god it's it's just it's dreadful um so the the basic premise is that Danny Dyer is a, a taxi driver obviously London taxi driver uh is a bit with, of a che- with the knowledge with the knowledge and he's a <laughs> yeah. bit of a cheeky chappy i don't know whether you would believe that coming from Danny Dyer well, i'm not Danny sure Danny Dyer Danny Dyer does have have two main roles: <laughs> cheeky chappy or football hooliganism type man. But he's a bit of a cheeky chappy. But sometimes underneath. he can play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he he can be good though. I've seen Human Traffic. He's quite good in Human Traffic. Yeah, I've seen a few films where he's been in good or at least okay in. <laughs> yeah, and and, um, and I've seen him do karaoke in EastEnders as well. So, but the, but there is a reason why he's in EastEnders now and was a paramedic in Casualty for a bit. <laughs> Was he really? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. If it, I'm not sure if it's a one-off episode or longer, but he definitely at some point played a paramedic in Casualty. Oh, I'm definitely going to have to add that to my to my watching list. I think I, th- there's a good reason why they sent him to America to cover UFOs as well. I think, personally. <laughs> but um, Danny Dyer, I love UFOs or something. That was that yeah. was amazing. Uh, so yeah, he's a t- cheeky chappy taxi driver, and he sort of uh, gets involved in in a mugging, uh, not actually perpetrating, but. You know, stopping, it, stopping the mugging. So it was an actual mugging. No one was being mugged off. It was an actual mugging. <laughs> no, it yeah, was actually mug. the mugging of yeah. not of the off variety. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Are you mugging me off? It was like proper robbing. <laughs> yeah, it was a proper yeah. handbag involved in everything. I mean, because you need to be clear on the type of mugging if it's the Danny Dyer. I film. do. Yeah. yeah. Sorry about it, that. It was a tea leaf. They were tea leafing. Yeah. Um, yeah. An old woman's bag. They were chawing her bag right and mugging, mugging her right off. Anyway. So <laughs> I suppose if you mug someone, you do mug them off as well. Yeah, but I mean, the joke, joke's on her, really, because for some unexplained reason, she's got this massive tin of uh, dog food in her handbag, and she goes to hit someone, but she accidentally hits Danny Dyer and said, I'm not even going to bother learning his character name, he's Danny Dyer. She, he accidentally hits, she accidentally hits uh, Danny Dyer instead, and he gets a concussion, and then it all comes out that he's he's just got two wives, basically. Uh, one in Finchley and one in, uh, I don't know, some South London hellhole. And um, <laughs> <laughs> I can say that. I live in South London. It's fine. Croydon. <laughs> oh, it was Croydon, was it? I don't know. Probably. No, yeah. Yeah, it probably was. Let's just say it was Croydon. Stockwell, and, I think um, Yeah. And it's just, it, it's, it simply is the worst film I've ever seen. I knew within a minute. Right, you you have all these cameos turning up from from famous people, and the most notable thing about this film on IMDb and the trivia is how many people's last film this was. <laughs> Richard Briers was so embarrassed about it; he died two days after it came out. That's how bad it is, and you know, and you know it's going to be bad when less than a minute in, people turn round and there's Rolf Harris, and currently Cliff, Sir Cliff Richard. 
I can't, Ominous. I can't believe I'm seeing this. It's someone just watching Run For Your Wife and ticking these people off. Yeah, literally. There's about Nonce, six... nonce, nonsense. <laughs> there's about six people who have died since. I'd, I'd watch out, I'd watch out if I was Dickens, cause he's in it, isn't he? He's in it, yeah, quite, yeah, yeah that, that's the, that, that's the bit where the kind of offensive, stereotypical gay mm. neighbours thing comes in, to be honest. Lionel Blair's in it. Uh, so, you know. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's really bad. And you know what? Also, this was unforgivable. For someone who's meant to be a cheeky London chappy, why the hell is he going, or some someone in the film is going from wherever it was in South London over Westminster Bridge to Finchley, and then back to Waterloo East Theatre? People, I don't understand why. Why would you do that? That's... Your biggest problem with the film is the logistics. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's not the biggest problem, but you know, it's what, about what, what it's route about... would you what what route would you have you taken? Well, I would have carried on going up Waterloo. Uh, Westminster Bridge and not double back on myself to Waterloo Theatre. Yeah. It's unfortunate because I actually walk past that theatre like every day on the way back from work and that's how I recognised it. <laughs> but you know, it's meant to be about a cheeky London chappy who's a, who's a taxi driver. You can't make these sort of elemental mistakes. It's outrageous. But yeah, it, it, it's really dreadful. I didn't laugh once. Apart I don't when... know, I've been, I've been in cabs in London where they think they know what they're doing. Then they take you to the wrong travel lodge and claim it's the right one, but the back door. That's the knowledge, though. <laughs> Absolute bullshitting <laughs> bastard. But At least a ten-minute walk from the travel lodge is meant to be in the... Anyway, anyway carry on. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it is really bad. I didn't laugh once, except for, like, an ominous ha-ha when Rolf Harris showed up less than a minute in. Uh, it's like Jeremy Kyle meets Lady Killers, but... <laughs> I, it's not even half as entertaining as Jeremy Kyle or the Lady Killers, and I hate Jeremy Kyle. So yeah, don't watch it. Just don't watch it, or do watch it and, and validate me. I don't. I don't <laughs> yeah. care. But I, got, I hate I got, James. For me I got watch forty it. minutes in because I thought you were going to watch Condor Man as well. You see, so I thought, well, I'll I didn't give get around to it. One for your wife, a chance. <laughs> forty minutes in, and I just gave up. I, I can't even be bothered. <laughs> I think I did pause it for a massive amount, 40 minutes in, and went and did something else. <laughs> and then came back, which is unheard of for me, you know, especially for an hour and a half film. You know, it's not a long film. I, I do did, have quite a long attention span. But I you, just, did, I, I couldn't endure it all in one go. Did you laugh once? Yeah, I did, I did laugh when Rolf Harris turned around. But only in a, ha he's in prison type way. So did you, did you laugh at anything, like, that the film wanted you to laugh at? Uh, oh, maybe I did have a little bit of a giggle at the uh, classic um, where he steps on a rake gag. Like just, Sideshow Bob. Yeah, just mm. because I've seen the uh, the gif on the internet so many times and just the face he pulls while he's doing it is, is fantastic. It is dire at his best, to be honest. He's he's found his level as the landlord of the Queen Vic, hasn't he? I think he pretty much has. I think he should just stay there. He's never going to get a job as good as that, is he? Have you, see, have you seen a core bit of these standards for the first time in a while? Did you see that Ian Beal was teaching him how to swim. No. Because <laughs> he couldn't swim for some reason. Uh, I missed that bit. So Ian Beal was teaching him, and I didn't watch a few, then I watched another one like a couple of weeks later, and he had to do, there was some swimming gala that was doing something for charity, and he had to swim the last lap, and he was all worried about it, but then he did it, and Ian Beal was like really proud of him. Not being funny, but you wouldn't have caught Phil Mitchell doing that, would you? No, well, not not in the day. I don't know. I don't and know as well as that, like Ian Beale's got to deal with like the case trying to find the murder of his daughter, and he's teaching Danny Dyer to swim. It's really heartwarming <laughs> stuff. 
<laughs> it's Dyer at his best. This this it, film isn't Dyer at his best, I'm afraid. It's, just, stick it's, to just, it's just Dyer yeah. in every sense of the word. Literally, Dyer. Yeah. Yeah. Horrible. Thanks, James. Yeah. I hate you. <laughs> oh, what a dickhead James is. <laughs> <laughs> All three of us have come out of this situation thinking less of him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, the quiz must go on. Um, back to, to nil all, or all round, and I'm going to, as is from my idea, start off this, this bout of quizzing. I'm going to start off in 1980 with a film called Baker. What, is it the Life and Times of the Captain America writer? I don't know. That's, that's a little, not. that's a little comics joke for you there. Little geek joke, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, going to skip to 1984, a film called Harriet Son. Uh, 1989, uh, same year as what many might consider his big break, but this film isn't that. It's a film called Glory. No, can't even Nin- guess. No. 1991, he was in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Carol. Yes, Carol. Is it Christian Slater? It is not Christian oh. Slater. Uh, in 1995, they are in a film called Seven. Oh, Carol Morgan Freeman. It is Morgan Freeman. (laughs) What would you tell? What was his big break then in 1989? Driving Miss Daisy. Oh, of course. What a terrible film that is. Never (laughs) seen it. (laughs) He he has been in a lot of films. I mean, if you've got like when you go on someone's Wikipedia page, if you've got a separate page for your filmography, <laughs> you've been in a you've been in a lot of films. There's him and Sam Jackson. I bet Sam Jackson's got a separate. Oh, one of course as well. he has. Of course he has. He's uh, going to be in Dolphin Tale Two. Is his next film out after Lucy? Um, oh, there you go. Nice. Don't know what that's about. Didn't see the first one. Probably dolphins. <laughs> dolphins will be in it. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, it's probably a sequel to Cove, the Japanese documentary. Isn't that the one with the girl out of heroes in it? Possibly. I've it just had Morgan it. Freeman narrate it in his really dulcet tones, but actually you're just seeing <laughs> Japanese people slaughter whales. <laughs> the acceptable face of whale slaughtering. So Carol has got one point then in the quiz. Owen, I will give you a bonus point if you can do an impression of Morgan Freeman. Silence. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. An impression of Morgan Freeman being silent doesn't yeah, count. You've mistaken me for Rob Brydon, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah. um, on to the news then. Uh, big news and sad news once again coming out of the film. Richard Attenborough passed away uh, this week. Um, start of many, many films, both as an actor and a director. Um, including The Great Escape, Jurassic Park, uh, directed Gandhi, among others. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously he lived to a, to a, a ripe old age. Yeah, um, definitely. Had, had a good innings, as it were. Yeah. Um, but still sad news, especially for somebody so well respected at his craft and seemingly so well liked as well. Yeah, I, I don't... To be honest, I don't know a lot of his kind of older films. Obviously, uh, Gandhi, yes. 
and obviously Jurassic Park, which I think most people are going to, most people that I've seen have, have been paying tribute, mm-hmm. remembering from, because that's just our generation, isn't it? That's just mm-hmm. that's just what we know him from. But I mean, uh, I thought I, before I saw him in anything else, I probably saw him in Jurassic Park and Miracle on Thirty Fourth yes. Street. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, I was watching a documentary. I, obviously, everyone's had all this stuff ready for a long time because he's. I used to live around the corner from him. Actually, he's been ill for a long, long time. I think he had a stroke at about. Six he was. Years he ago. was. He was definitely living in a in a kind of nursing home or some kind. Yeah, he was living yeah. in the where I used to live. There were a couple of these like uh, nursing homes for retired entertainers. Who? Why hasn't someone written a sitcom about this? It didn't they do that with Jack? Didn't they do a film like that with Jack Nicholson, Morgan Freeman called The Bucket List? Uh, and they possibly. did quartet, sort of, which was entertainers, but opera people. I still think an ongoing sitcom would be brilliant because because there was that one, and then round uh, not very far from me, the other direction was one where Thora Heard and Captain Birdseye lived. Who wouldn't want to <laughs> see a sitcom about that? Amazing. But um, yeah, I digress. So the BBC were running a. Um, a documentary the other night because they've obviously had all this stuff ready for quite a long time because he's been ill for a while and I, di- I didn't realise how long Gandhi ma- uh, like took to make he was trying to make it for like 10 years and no one would give him the money and, and everyone was like begging him to cast a white person as as, the, as Gandhi basically uh, and he was resi- resisting everyone and he cast Ben Kingsley at the time who, who was unknown basically at the time um, and it was just yeah a real kind of testament to his kind of strength of character that he he just kept going trying to make this film it was and it turned out to be you know he was absolutely right and it picked up I don't know, 11 oscars or something and um yeah it's an amazing kind of testament to if if there's one if there's one film that kind of stands up as a testament to his strength of character then it's got to be gandhi really mm. and brighton rock of course is the one that um is the other film that most people have been paying tribute to him for because it's such an iconic British film, and he yeah. was fantastic in it. You know, he really was. Uh, James loved it. I'm, I like it. I don't didn't love it as much as James did, but it's it, it's a really good film, and it is mainly down to how convincing his portrayal of this this um, this character, this gangster who's controlling and dominating his, his girlfriend. It, it's really menacing, quite sinister. Yeah, he's it's completely quite, terrifying. He is. Yeah, the recording he makes is just one of the most. <laughs> Really disturbing um, acts a character's committed in one of those type of gangster films, and yeah, he's he he pulls it off really convincingly. Not that I'm accusing him of being a real gangster or anything. <laughs> no, acting. Yeah. Acting. <laughs> See that acting. He also tells John Wayne to put his gun away in um, a film called Brannigan, and that is quite convincing as well. I don't think many people could get away with telling John Wayne to put his gun away. <laughs> That, um, that was definitely one of those moments where, because if you'd only known him from being Santa Claus and John Hammond, <laughs> and you saw yeah. that and you were like, oh my god, <laughs> I, don't know, I just don't know what to think anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, he's also iconic for his role in The Great Escape, which is probably one of the most well-known films going, especially World War Two films. Mm. Um, but yeah, he's he's just... All round, um, yeah, fantastic. That's the director, like we said, and um, tributes have been paid to him from from everywhere, which is kind of expected. Yeah, yeah, I really like the pit. Robert Downey Jr. Uh, put a nice picture up because, of course, he directed Chaplin as well, mm. which I think a lot of people, I, I definitely forgot he directed that. 
but um, Robert Downey Jr. put up a nice uh, picture, like a back um, behind the scenes picture of them both when they were filming that. Um, and that's a fantastic film. I, I love that film. I need to watch it again, really. I've only seen half of it, but I mean, I suppose he's kind of responsible for um, reviving Robert Downey Jr.'s career, isn't he? Well, no, I think that was before he went off. Oh, the was edge. that before he went? Yeah, there? this uh, was like this. Actually, I think it was like '92, so that was over really? 20 that years is. ago, I think. Um, oh, wow. It was definitely early '90s, but yeah, that I think that was his first Oscar nomination, and then he kind of went over the went over the, went over the edge, basically. But I'm sure that wasn't Rich Dethnever's fault. <laughs> So far, he's been accused of being a gangster. He sent Robert Downey Jr. over the edge. Could be uh, let's, let's, let's leave him. Let's leave him with a nice tribute, then, which came from Mara Wilson, who played the girl in Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Who said uh, Richard Attenborough was the only Santa Claus she ever believed in. I feel really bad for her because she's also lost. Like uh, Robin Williams was her dad in Mrs. Doubtfire as well, wasn't wasn't he? I was trying to end it on a nice note, but thanks. It's <laughs> 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 just pretty, pretty maudlin, but yeah. Uh, if we want to be positive, she'll have lots of opportunities to network and get back into film in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, too soon. <laughs> anyway, um, another bit of uh, of news that we can think of is uh, Fright Fest has happened, and we've had someone there. Yeah, Mike Shawcross has been... Um, he was going anyway, bless him, but we just kind of nabbed him the same way we nabbed Carol when she went to uh, the London Film Festival. Uh, and got him to cover it for us. So he's been tweeting all through the, the festival about what films he's seen, um, which we've retweeted. So if you follow our, our Twitter feed, at Failed Critics, you can sort of scroll through and, and see his mm, brief thoughts on nice his film. Plug. That nice plug, yeah. And another yeah. plug coming up, um, Big Foghorn. It was also got some off, um, articles on the website coming up as well. Um, in fact, I think by the time this podca- podcast gets published, um, we'll have both of his diary entries for... Um, for the festival on the website and we'll start posting some more full length reviews so stuff like The Den All Cheerleaders Die um, Sin City A Dame to Kill For as well which was shown at Fright Fest they've all got um, reviews on the website but we'll also be having interviews uh, posted um, in fact we we spoke to or Mike spoke to uh, Jessica Cameron who is the director writer and star of a film called Truth or Dare which was shown at Fright Fest. And apparently she was really lovely, and her film is one of the sickest that um, was shown at Fright Fest, according to Mike, so that's something to look forward to. Um, but yeah, Jessica Cameron, and another star of the film, Ryan Kaiser, is also um, in the interview as well. So that'll be going up soon, and yeah, we've got quite a lot coming out after Fright Fest. It sounds like it, was, uh, it went really well. Um, so well done Film 4, or whoever else was organising it, I think. We had Arrow there and View Cinema and Horror Channel as well. So, yeah, it seems like it went really well. And, and Mike seems to think it was the strongest Fright Fest that he's been to. Blimey. So, yeah. So a lot of praise for, for this year's festival. So that's all for part one then. And in part two, we will have what we've been watching. What we've been watching then, when we take a look at the films we have seen that aren't necessarily new releases in the last week or so, um, both Owen and me have seen some of the Fright Fest films. Are we? I've never quite worked out if we're okay to tell, tell people where we watch these things to. Because we're not. You mean when we went on holiday to America and we took a laptop with us? 
and we saw, yeah. them, saw them on their version of Netflix, you mean? See, see, cause I've, cause we're not actually doing anything illegal, are we? Because they're not, because we're not stealing them from anyone, because they're not available in the U, on the UK Netflix. And but I subscribe to the UK money Netflix. To Netflix right? Yeah, and I, su- yeah. and I subscribe to Netflix anyway. So I, but they're not making these films available on the UK version. So I'm not stealing anything off of Netflix. I'm not stealing anything off of anyone else. I don't so know about you, but okay. someone comes into my house and sets it up. I've got no input into this whole situation. I just turn the laptop on and there it is. Yeah. Nothing to do with me, Gov. Yeah, exactly. I know I do it myself. I subscribe to Unblock US. Oh, wait. I use no telly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, I personally think that... I don't think Netflix really do a lot to stop you from doing it, do they? Because I think they know that yeah. if they did... Their well, subscriber ha- numbers were probably yeah. half. You have you have to have a you have to have a Netflix account to be able yeah. to change it to the exactly. US one or the Canadian one or whatever. So, yeah, I don't think I'm doing anything wrong. I, I pay my money to Netflix. I pay my five ninety nine a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit extra for a for an US like like yeah. yourself, Steve. And uh, yeah, it's, it, get- if anything, it makes it more bearable to pay six pound a month for the selection that I get. Yeah. If I had to pay six pound a month and only got the UK one, I think I'd just unsubscribe. Yeah, well, you know, Run for Your Wife isn't on the US Netflix, so. No, that is very true. That's yeah. probably something, yeah, that's probably definitely in the positive tick exactly. for, the, for the US there service there. <laughs> I find Canada normally quite good. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting films for Korea are, to films start on Netflix, and then I'll be all over. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, um, me and Owen have both seen some films that were featured at Fright Fest, uh, through Netflix US. Um, we've both seen The Den, haven't we? We have, yeah. And the director's seen my review. Just a little, um, humble brag. Tweeted yeah. my review. Yeah. We're best um, friends now. Me and Zach Donahue. Yeah. We're like that, you know, I've got my fingers. Did he nominate you, you know. for the Ice Bucket Challenge? <laughs> uh, no, I nominated him and then he declined. <laughs> I was, no, I, I hated. I hated mine. Horrible. I haven't been nominated. I, I, I have done it. <laughs> I, I thought was... my brother was going to nominate me, but he nominated my other sister instead. <laughs> so that was a win. Does that mean you're the favourite sister? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway, the den, which mm. is a home invasion movie, uh, with its kind of. I don't really want to say gimmick because it makes it sound a bit. It makes it sound cheaper rubbish. than it is. Yeah, yeah, but it, it's it's gimmick for lack of a better word. It's it's all filmed uh, or viewed via webcam on kind of like a chat site. Um, mm. A bit like chat roulette. Yeah, with with less knobs. Although some knobs. There there is some there is some <laughs> penis. There is, there is a, a there, wobbling. Yes, as, as you wonderfully termed it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was it was really good, wasn't it? I yeah, I loved it. I thought it was um so different to what I was expecting. Um, um I I thought it was kind of for for home invasion films what paranormal activity the first one was for for scary ghost films. That's a really good analogy actually, because it's kind of taken um an already existing genre and not subverted it, but it's turned it into something Different, because it's a yeah. it's a it's a home invasion film with no actual people invading her home. That's the odd thing about it. It's all done online, um, rather than you know someone being dragged out of a bedroom or whatever, or hiding under the bed, or you know your next was out last year, and I really liked your next. I thought it was very good. 
Well, it is. Uh, that's a typical house invasion film. Yeah. Whereas, whereas this is is not a typical house invasion film. Or home no. invasion, I suppose, is the correct term because it's sort of the point of it is it's invading your your privacy. It's in your safe place. That's what makes it so so different to to like a, a just a typical slasher film. Um, and that's why it still works as a home invasion, even without a guy in a mask and a knife breaking through her front door. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely it's you know, definitely different. But it's a bit of a twist on your mm. standard home invasion film using kind of. Um, new technology being able to access people's homes or you yeah. know, personal history through technology um, which I suppose is perhaps just as much an invasion of privacy as someone breaking into your home and having mm. a look around and... yeah and the point of course is still you know it's it's almost like a reflection back on the viewer why are you watching this what are you getting out of this you know like um, yeah Michael Haneke's uh, funny games films that that just flip the the whole thing back around and say, well, look, you're watching this. Why are you watching this if you're disgusted by it and you know it's wrong? Um, yeah. Which is a very clever thing to do, you know, putting you... Because the whole film is, like you've said, from behind a webcam. You witness it from um, the character Elizabeth's um, computer screen, the whole thing. So it it's... Yeah, I, I found it fascinating. It was just so unusual. I think we both had problem with the the ending, or the the, the very. I certainly had a problem with the the very ending, <clears throat> no, the, the kind of last scene. Really? Um, yeah, I just I just thought I can't say too much about it for people who might want to watch it. Just yeah. kind of like threw threw a message in there at the last minute. Um, I don't think <clears> it threw it in at the last minute. I think it was a build up to, because it could have ended it in one of two ways, really. You could have either ended it the way it did, or you could have ended it in a way that sets itself up to become like a franchise film. And I don't yeah. think it does. I think it sets itself up as a, look, you've watched this. What do you think about it? And I thought it was quite um, refreshing. It puts a, f- a sort of finality on it, an ending. Um, I said in my review, it puts just an exclamation mark there rather than a whimpering dot, 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 because that's what it tries to do. It tries to end it. It's a film, it starts, it has a middle, and then the, it has an ending, and then at the end, there's just a, and there you go. That's what you get. Which was quite good. I liked it. I, I thought that the scenes before that were slightly contrived. I thought the way that the film, the, the plot wrapped itself up was a bit silly compared to what it was doing before. But at the same yeah, time, I, yeah. it was, you know, it, I thought I, I still enjoyed it. I, I think it was the atmosphere that continued throughout that was, it was impressive. So yeah, I mean, yeah. I liked it. So I'm glad you liked it as well. Yeah, uh, I also saw uh, on US Netflix as well. All cheerleaders die, mm. uh, which <laughs> is a, I suppose, basically, it's a zombie film. Yeah, it's a zombie it, film. It's a coven film. Um, yeah, a weird kind of slasher film, even. A bit I mean, supernatural, a bit meta. Yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, a group of cheerleaders uh, end up dying and are brought back to life by um, one of the cheerleaders' uh, friends or ex-girlfriend <laughs> who's who's into pagan stuff and brings them back to life. Um, As I do. didn't. Re- I didn't really like. It. I mean, that kind of film. I like zombie films. I like that kind of film. Um, 
the plot was the kind of thing kind of seen before. I didn't really engage with any of the characters. I didn't really like any of the characters. Mm. So mm. I wasn't really, you know, whether it was the, whether it was the guys that they were going after or the girls. I just didn't really like any of them. Particularly think they were good characters or interesting characters, and therefore didn't really root for them. And I suppose that's why I didn't like the film, which is a shame because on paper I should have liked the film. It's the kind of film that I like. You know, not the greatest films of all time, obviously, but you know, one that you enjoy watching for an hour and a half or so. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. I think you can watch it one of two ways. You can watch it as you know at face value, like you like you said you you kind of done it, and you appreciate it as this zombie cheerleader slasher film. Um, and you either like that or you don't, and that's fair enough. But I think there's another way to look at what it's doing, which is it takes the kind of tropes and the standard. Um, characters of these kinds of films, of these weird slasher films or these supernatural things, or you've got the cheerleaders, you've got the jocks, and I think what it tries to do is strip away all the the excesses of of these characters through the genre, and starts again. It it, it puts them back into look. There's no baggage on this. this what you what you see is what you get. Um, and I kind of appreciated it from that. I found it quite fun though. I do I do think on face value. It was still quite a fun film, but at the same time, I can understand why um, why you wouldn't like it, especially the reasons you've given, because the characters are not um, endearing, shall we say? No, and mm. yeah, there's not really any, <clears throat> not really well fleshed out or anything like that. It's not really. Yeah, I think it's more to do with what it's doing in the subtext with those characters, and you either like that. Or you just want to ignore it because all you want to watch is is the, the film. <laughs> you watch it because it's about zombie cheerleaders, you know. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to patronise you or anything, Steve. I'm just saying there's two ways to watch it. And I think, yeah, I don't know. It depends. How much you like it is going to depend on what you're expecting from the film. Okay, so Owen, uh, give us a summary then of the other Fright Fest films you've seen. Yeah, uh, well, the other film, I suppose the biggest one that's also on US Netflix, um, and was shown at Glasgow Fright Fest earlier in the year as well, was Wolf Creek 2, um, which was really good, actually. Have, you, have either of you seen the first Wolf Creek? No. Yes. You have? Okay, yeah. what did you think of Wolf Creek? It was alright. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I think it was, I remember it being quite unsettling though, quite disturbing. It was very disturbing, I thought. Yeah. It was, um, it, it, I don't know whether you describe it as kind of torture porn. The, for a large portion of it, anyway, there's a lot of torture going on in the film. Wolf Creek 2 is not as heavy on that. There's still, there's still that kind of thing in there, and it's still really difficult to watch parts of it. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot more, uh, engaging as a film. I found Wolf Creek, the first one, very difficult to enjoy. Whereas this has got more to it. There's more humour with it. Um, I think Greg McLean, the, the director's kind of grown a bit more. Um, cause he was originally part of that, well, I don't know whether you've heard of the term, but the Splat Pack of group of directors who were making these sort of horror films. And he made Rogue as well, which was a really good Australian film. Um, and Wolf Creek 2, yeah, it sort of continues in the same thing. You've got Mick, the serial killer, serial killer, um, Australian outback kind of guy who hates the foreigners all invading his, his town. Um, it's, it's a similar plot really. 
plot is pretty much the same, but it's just better. It's done it a lot better. Um, yeah, it was really good fun. Um, but as I say, it's been out a while. I think a lot of other people have seen it already. But the other film that was shown at Fright Fest was something called Stage Fright. Now, I've recommended this to James, and I recommend it to people who do like this sort of film. It's a musical giallo. You know, uh, you, you know what a giallo is? The Italian slasher things with the guy in a hood and a knife and you never see their face till the end. That kind of pulpy um, slasher movie. It's a musical of that. It's sort of like um, Glee. And I don't like Glee. I'm not a fan of Glee. I'm not a fan of musicals in general. Um, but there's... I, I know people who've seen it and do like it for what it is and I just don't, I just don't like it. It starts off being quite decent. There's a lot of humour in it. It's played for laughs mainly. Um, but it just descends into this gimmicky, generic slasher. And it just does nothing for me. Um, I did watch another kind of musical horror not too long ago. Sweeney Todd. Because some of the people told me that that was a good Tim Burton film. And those people are wrong. <gasps> it's not. You Outrageous. don't like it, do you? No. I love Sweeney Todd, but I like the stage show a lot. Uh, and I thought it was a good film version as well. Yeah, I didn't particularly enjoy it. I kind of... The ending, it was okay. I thought the ending was okay to Sweeney Todd, the, the musical thing. But the rest of the film was so tedious. So, so tedious. But you just don't like people singing through stuff, though, do you? Why Why do they have to sing Because <laughs> it's a musical, Owen. <laughs> it just... Uh, trying it's to make things rhyme, and it, and it doesn't make sense, and it's just, no, fuck off. Can't be doing with that. <laughs> So stage fright, well, yeah, I mean, if you like musicals and you like horror films, you'll probably like it. I don't like musicals, but I like horror films, and I thought it was all right. I'm just going to like it to spite you, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But the the only other film that I really want to talk about, I guess... uh, Well, there's two films, but I'll very quickly skim over one of them. Bad Milo, which is about a bloke who has a growth inside of his arse. And this growth comes out and starts killing people that upset him. Yeah. I sort of wish I had one of those. <laughs> it looks very uncomfortable. Especially on Twitter sometimes. It's about, this, it's about the size of a football and it comes out of his ass and then goes back in his ass. So that's probably not the most comfortable um, experience. But it's a bit like Basket Case, the modern Basket Case. Um, so it's quite, it's alright, quite funny. Um, chap. In it, I can't remember his name. I should have looked this up. I'm really sorry. He's quite good. He's quite believable as this guy who's got this extreme agony in his gut and has to deal with his father issues and his job's really shit and his wife wants a baby and he doesn't really think he's going to be a good father because of his father issues. Um, but trying to look for any deeper context in it is fruitless. It is just about a guy who has a monster that lives in his ass. That's it really. And it kills people. And it's quite amusing, in a childish, immature sort of way. That's the sort of high-concept stuff that Michael Bay needs to get back to doing, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's better than a lot of Michael Bay films I've seen, put it that way. <laughs> um, but the other film, the final film that it was shown at Fright Fest that I want to talk about, isn't really a film, it's a documentary. It's called Doc of the Dead. Um, and it's kind of a documentary that starts off by looking at the history of zombies in cinema. So it goes back to, it goes over a lot of grain of things I already kind of knew anyway. But it was still quite interesting to watch. They talk about, you know, 
um, white zombie and they talked about I walked with a zombie and talked about how the origins of the, the zombie culture came from um, either voodoo curse or sometimes it was alien parasites when the sort of 40s and 50s sci-fi films really took hold um, you know it was all because of UFOs and that kind of thing and it wasn't really until Night of the Living Dead in 1968 which is my favourite film of all time came out and changed everything um, even though it never refers to them as zombies and George Romero in the documentary kind of thinks um, that he invented a new kind of creature and it was only when some article in New York came out and they sort of referred to his film as having zombies that suddenly they were like oh for fuck's sake we've, <laughs> we haven't invented anything new these these exist already um, which is quite amusing but then it goes on to look at the more like zombie culture that's developed from there um, how these these things have just sprung up in pop culture and how now every other app seems to have zombie on it and it's just taken over where it's come from so it's really fascinating if you've got any interest in zombie films or the history of zombie films or even looking at how it influences things today then yeah worth the watch Doctor the Dead totally um, really interesting but that was it really there, there are a couple of other films on US Netflix that I think were shown at um, the Fright Fest I think Drew the Man Behind the Poster uh, which is about Drew Struzan, who's an artist, an iconic artist, who's drawn lots of cover photos and posters and stuff. He did the, um, did he do the Raiders of the Lost Ark poster and, and he's done all the Indiana Jones ones and he did the Star Wars ones as well? Possibly. Is that the same guy? Maybe, yeah. I didn't watch it in the end. I didn't find time before we, um, did the podcast because I was too busy watching Condor Man and Run for Your Wife, but, um. <laughs> 40 minutes of Run for Your Wife. Don't pretend like you wife. endured the whole thing. No, I didn't. I switched <laughs> off and then I watched Sin City. The first Sin City again, so. But, um, no, so the, the, that's on US Netflix as well. I'm sure there are a couple others probably dotted about in, you, you know, Canadian Netflix or, weirdly the ones that pop up in like Brazilian Netflix or the Dutch Netflix every so often but yeah those are the ones that I've seen anyway and um, I'm sure all the other films that Shorky's talked about like uh, Truth or Dare the Jessica Cameron film or The House at the End of Time I think it's called which you also really enjoyed gave that one a 5 out of 5 so I'm expecting a lot from that but um, yeah that was it really that's all I saw I don't know about um, you Steve whether you saw any others no, that was just the two that I managed to see. Uh, Carol, what have you seen this week? Um, just run for your wife, really, and that sort of like I I just lost all interest in film and indi- <laughs> and indeed life. Uh, so I've just seen the other the other film that I've seen this week is uh, Lucy, which I think we're going to talk about in a little while, or are we going to talk about it now? Uh, we'll have a little break. Do what we usually do for new releases. All right. Um, why break a tried and tested format, really? Um, but <laughs> did you see, this is going to, this will, this will come back full circle to what you just said about run for your wife. Did you see that, um, after the World Cup, a Colombian lawyer is trying to sue the a referee from their game against Brazil for damaging the nation's spirit or feelings or good fit, something like that. Are you considering doing the same about run for your wife? <laughs> Should I sue Danny Dyer? Oh no, I don't really. To be fair, I don't really think it's Danny Dyer's fault. I think it's more the producers of the film. Mm. Danny mm. Dyer was mentored by Harold Pinter. He, yes. he goes on about it a lot. He was in. He was. Uh, he was on the. Um, he was on stage at the Pinter Theatre quite a lot, if I remember correctly, before his film career took off in inverted commas. 
Um, yeah, I think that might be a good idea because there aren't, I'm really sorry to keep banging on about this, but really <laughs> it did offend me so much. Um, there aren't many films where I, I, I quite often hear people use the phrase, I want that time of my life back. There aren't many films where I've actually felt that. Norm- I, I, I like watching a film all the way to, I, I will always watch a film all the way to the end unless I fall asleep. Um, and, you know, normally, I, you know, I don't feel like, you know, there's an hour and a half of my life that's been wasted and I want it back. But I genuinely do want that 90 minutes of my life back. If if anyone that was involved with Run For Your Wife is listening, <laughs> if you could make that up for me, then that would be really appreciated. Because, yeah, I, I, I just felt, like, so miserable afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't even endure any more any more films. Um, yeah. So yeah, if that could be if that could be arranged, that would be that would be appreciated. Thank you. Okay, that's all for what we've been watching. Our next is our uh, new release reviews of Lucy and Sin City Two. So time to review some new releases now. Uh, first up is. Lucy, uh, which stars Morgan Freeman, Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson is a woman who has her brain bolted with by some drug and it goes really clever and stuff. Here's a clip. Somebody put a bag of drugs inside me and you to take it out. It's leaking. It is estimated human beings only use 10% of their brain's capacity. Imagine if we could access 100%. Interesting things begin to happen. Yes? Professor Norman, my name's Lucy. I just read all your research on the human brain. It's a little rudimentary, but you're on the right track. So then, that was a clip of uh, Lucy. I think both Carol and Owen have seen this one. So, Carol, why don't you start us off with uh, reviewing Scarlett Johansson's latest outing? Uh, and and probably the first one where she's actually headlined a film for quite a long time. I can't remember the last time she was actually like the leading the leading person in the film. Now um, under the skin. Oh yeah, all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I didn't uh, mean I didn't mean to say, make you sound like an idiot. Then sorry, <laughs> it just it just came straight to my head as I thought. In I my defence, it yeah. wasn't it wasn't a very wide release, was it? And uh, no. and and also it was um, a bit weird. So anyway. Um, yeah, so she plays, uh, Lucy, surprisingly enough, who's, um, basically unwittingly, um, involved in, in basically being a drugs mule. Uh, but the problem is she, she's carrying this drug which is based on the one in Limitless, basically, but it looks more like the one from Breaking Bad. They've, <laughs> they've just put a little bit of topical, topical stuff mm. in there. And, um, and it breaks inside her and she starts absorbing it all and, and her brain goes from accessing 10%. <clears throat> to 100% of her of her cerebral uh, abilities, and uh, it, it's extraordinarily boring, to be honest. For, for a film, yeah, I just I just got really bored. I think the the reason the reason they put in so many of those animal cutaways was because they realised Luke Besson realised that it was getting quite tedious. There are the, there are a number of these silly like cutaways. Um, because there's this bit at the beginning where she's being chased and it kind of gets interspersed with a, an antelope and a, uh, what was it? I can't remember what it was now, a leopard or something, wasn't it? And it's like, and they yeah. like family guy cutaways. Well, pretty... No, it's just stock footage. <laughs> it's just a lot of stock footage. So it's like really hammering home the point that, yes, yeah, she's being, she's being chased and she's gonna have her throat torn open by a leopard. 
but obviously she doesn't. But you know, it, it just kind of hammers home the point, and you're like, yeah, I, I get it. I, I understand that she is being chased by these people. Uh, you don't, you don't need to back that up with nature footage. Uh, I, what did you think of that? I mean, I thought it really, really annoyed me actually after a while. It was a bit simple uh, and repetitive. And I think it kind of acted as filler as well, to be honest. Um, yeah, I didn't like the, the stock footage stuff at all. None of it seemed to fit. And it just, like you said, it, it was patronising. It really was patronising. Because yeah. you just get this, this clip of the leopard or whatever chasing the antelope. And it would just go on and on and on. And then they'd show it again in slow motion. And then you just have more of the stalking. And it was just, like you say... You get it. You know what you're talking about. We understand already, Luke Besson. Move on. Carry on. <laughs> We've got it. Keep going. Yeah, I'm. I'm not really happy with the film that that comes comes out with such a stupid premise for a start. By the way, ten percent of our brains, which is, which isn't scientifically accurate, I believe. It's no, it's not very scientifically <laughs> accurate at all. It's a, it's, a, it's a quite a common myth, though, isn't it? Yes, yes, it mm. is. Probably because films like this and Limitless, I think, runs on the same lines, doesn't it? If I, I remember know. correctly. I don't know, I have seen them at this, but... Better, better than the book, actually. But anyway, I digress. Um, and, yeah, so it just it was kind of offensive that it comes out with such a stupid premise, but then also Nick feels need to, yeah, as, as Owen said, patronise us with hammering home these the certain points. Like, we're stupid enough to believe what your film is about, but we need to have things explained to us because we are that stupid. <laughs> and um, on, on levels of bad science, is it... Um, Day after tomorrow and 2012 bad. No, not quite. No, it's not that bad. No. No, there's no neutrinos mutating or anything. There's no ice, ice chasing impossible. you along a wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like that's happening. Great. No one's running away from the wind. Yeah. It's just, uh. <laughs> it's just... Happening, happening didn't happen in my mind. It's not, it doesn't exist. What does happen? I exist? like happening. happening. What? I like it. I don't know, I don't know the happening. I don't, I don't understand. With anyway, uh, Mark Wahlberg and M. Night Shyamalan and Wind. I can't believe that no one's getting that. Anyway. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> Move on. It's all right, we'll fix that in post. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, we won't. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it, it was pretty annoying. And also, like, the, the way that they took the, the idea, yeah, all right, let's just say, okay, for argument's sake, all right, fine, we use 10% of our brains, whatever. If we did, uh, only use ten percent, and then it went up. What would be the next logical like move? It wouldn't really be chucking people around the room, I don't think. Personally, uh, if you've got any basis for this, well, no, <laughs> you're a scientist. Does Luke, neither does Luke Besson. Mm. I, I would, I would definitely go with the kind of getting faster and and being stronger and things, but actually throwing people around the room by telekinesis, I'm not, not sure. I about just, that. I just think you'd be able to read quick like Johnny Five. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. Morgan Freeman, I mean, his character, he did spend 20 years researching it, so careful what you're questioning there, Carol. <laughs> he spent 20 years researching and his, his, his hypothesis was you could not only control your own matter, you can control matter from around you as well. But there's no... Not, not, e- not even Louis Van Gaal can control matter. <laughs> <laughs> but there's no... Weird, that, that's a big leap, though, isn't it? There's no it is kind massively. of... There's no fear, you know, if you're going to make up pseudoscientific bollocks, at least make it, like, semi-believable and have, like, a line of... of yeah, I, I watch superhero movies all the time. I know what I'm talking about here. I know I know pseudoscientific bollocks when I see it. <laughs> and, you know, some people can make it believable and some people can't. 
And yeah, I was just, I was just quite bored really, especially towards the end. I'm not going to give it away or anything because obviously some people may not have seen it and, and Steve hasn't seen it. But um, I felt the ending was just a bit kind of didn't, you know, it's just kind of oh okay, that's that's happened. It was a little bit inevitable in the sense that. You kind of knew where she would end up. Oh being, yeah, yeah, definitely. The character, anyway. Yes. You, you kind of understood that because I mean they make a point of it, don't they? It's one of these other pseudo scientific bollock phrases that comes up, and he says, "What happens when you get to ninety percent? Oh well, you can control space, time, and everything else. And then what happens when you get to a hundred percent? Who knows? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, you can hypothesize right up to 99% about 100% of your that brain. That last means 1% is weird. That's it. Beyond Nobody my knows. <laughs> what else, what else can you control other than time, space, and everything? Other than time, space, and everything. Yeah. A PlayStation um, without a controller. Antimatter, I guess. The number 42. <laughs> you can control everything and nothing. You could play PlayStation without a controller while you're waiting for it to charge up. Now that would be that would be impressive. <laughs> that would be amazing. Come back or to you me could just skip that, the updates you? on the PlayStation. Oh, you just God, skip yeah. them. It's already on there. Yeah. That would be the superpower That's to have. That's useful stuff. Controller <laughs> <laughs> space and time, rubbish. But I, I, yeah. I didn't really feel the other thing that actually I wanted the point I wanted to make about the film as well was that I didn't really feel that her powers were very well some some of her powers weren't very well demonstrated, so there's literally an exposition bit in the middle, which is this five minutes of her on the phone saying, oh, I can feel this, and I can feel this. Like, but, you know, we, we don't know, you know, she literally has to spell it out for us. They they do some good visualisation of stuff, like especially when she gets close to people and she can like x-ray them and stuff like that. That was quite good. Mm. But, um, yeah, there's, there's literally a bit in the middle where she has to sit down on the phone and say... Yes, this, these are the powers I have. Tick, tick, like literally ticking them off a list. And, uh, yeah, I, I just I think they, didn't... they do try to avoid that a little bit by having this speech from Morgan Freeman at the start that says what happens when you get to 40% and 50% and 60%. And as he gets through it, they come up with these little title cards that just say 60%. And then you've kind of, you're left to remember what she could do at that point. I think they they do try to avoid it as much as possible, but you're always going to have exposition in a film that's sort of 89 minutes long or whatever it is, 85 minutes long. Um, and it's really a fast-paced film as well. Everything just happens really quickly. It's very much a Luke Besson film, I think, in that sense, because it's a very, very quick, jumpy, um, moving from one point to the next point as quick as possible kind of film. So I don't know, I kind of forgave it a little bit for some exposition and also for some of the pseudo-scientific bollocks because it's preposterous and they know it's preposterous. I get the feeling they know that it's just ridiculous. Um, I don't know. I liked it really. I don't think it was boring. I, I didn't mind some of it. I thought some of the action was really good and it was nice to have uh, a film that didn't didn't um, skimp on the gore as well, mm. and it was quite nice to see it's done so well in the states because it's based. It's got like what, what, according to Hollywood, are the two death death nails, which is uh, a female lead and blood. Uh, mm. So it is nice to have seen it do so well. But honestly, I, I feel that it could have been a better film. I, I think what I'm doing is stacking it up next to Limitless. I'm not saying Limitless is a classic by any stretch of the imagination, but there's like a clear. There's a clear narrative in Limitless that tells you exactly what's happening, and, th- and there are logical leaps, 
um, and it's and it's quite exciting and and stuff. And basically, Lucy's trying to do it, and sometimes it succeeds, but most of the time it just doesn't. Uh, pretty much, but I think that's probably yeah. what it suffers from. I think if if you want a film that's quite gritty and based in some sort of realism, you're gonna not enjoy Lucy. I think if you don't enjoy films with these preposterous pseudoscience theories, you ain't gonna enjoy Lucy either. Um, but if you, I mean, if you just want a silly, quite fun, fast-paced European thriller, it's also got this like violent revenge-driven Korean aspect to it. You know, Choi Min-sik, who we haven't mentioned at all, but is one of the most well-known Korean actors in the West. He's he's brilliant in it, I think. Is he the boss um, man? He's the boss man. Yeah, he's he's the big ga- gangster boss. Yeah, he's really he's really good. Um, I like his scene, actually, um, without trying to give it anything away that's crucial to the plot, but the scene where he gets a translator in yes, and then just sort of walks out of the room. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was a really good scene. Um and he was he was he was a good actor in it as well. I liked um I'm gonna get the pronunciation of his name wrong as well, but I'm sorry. But uh Amir Wackard, who's I think it's the first time I've really noticed him in a film. I've seen him in a few other things, but it's the first time I've really sort of noticed actually he was pretty good in, in Lucy. Um so I think the performances in it are quite good. Yeah. And it is fairly short and like I said, it's very quick and you know, I don't think it's one of those that you'll be clock watching um through, apart from when it's just with lots of repetition of sort of stop footage um, <laughs> other than that I thought it was quite good it might not be so good on a repeat viewing I think the things that I did enjoy it might kind of deteriorate with each uh, repeated viewing but mm, I don't know for one time watch and if you're in the mood for it and you kind of know what to expect I think it's quite good yeah I think I was just I just felt slightly let down because I was expecting something probably a bit more intelligent I don't really know why um, but, um, yeah, I, I feel, yeah, if you were in an extreme switch your brain off type mode and you, and you didn't really kind of care and you didn't really let these little niggly things eat away at you, then, then it's probably, it's probably a, a fairly entertaining, like, uh, use of, of 90 mm. minutes. But, uh, yeah, yeah. There, there are some good bits in it. The, 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 the action's good. The, um, performances are good. Like, Scarlett Johansson's pretty good, although she can be a bit, uh, kind of listless at times, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, generally that. Yeah, so actually, just to remind me, some of her scenes where she's kind of looking out of the window and she's imagining all these different lines that she can see coming out of people's heads and stuff, going up to the sky, all these different coloured lines. That was ridiculous. She looked ridiculous doing that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's <laughs> yeah. like, oh right, yeah, lines, cool. Anyway, um, so yeah, that yeah, the performances weren't the problem, uh, and I just felt the ending kind of dragged on quite a lot. Uh, but um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, if you're not expecting much, then then you're not going to be disappointed. To be honest, sounds like you enjoyed it a bit more than me, though. I mean, I think oh. I did, but um, you know, <laughs> that doesn't really make a difference. Does it? It, I can see why some why you wouldn't enjoy it as much, and I think it's equally valid reasons. Okay, and Owen's also seen Sin City Two: uh, Dame to Kill For. Uh, how did you rate that one? Uh, again, this was quite an, a difficult one to rate because it, it is what it is. I mean, have you seen the first Sin City? Yes. A long okay. time ago, but yes. Yeah. Okay. So it is just a return to the same city, but with other stories in it. That's, that's pretty much all the film is. Um, the first film was comprised of, I think, four different stories, um, involving different characters that actually all end up intertwining. Um, 
this takes the intertwining stories to another level. Things a bit more involved um, with each other. But I, I like it. I I do like it. I honestly want to try and defend it because it's Robert Rodriguez, and I really like Robert Rodriguez. I think he's a very good director. Um, but it, is it a great film? Difficult to say. Difficult to say. The the, the thing it has in um, in abundance is style. It's got absolutely tons of really strong. Uh, quite good looking visuals to it and when I say quite good looking visuals I'm not just talking about the fact Diva Green spends 80% of her screen time in the buff probably 90% in the buff as well um, she she obviously she looks stunning the film is sold on the fact that all these female actresses in it are meant to be these hyper realistic um, beautiful women who uh, men just fawn over and that's that's the point of them so as a sort of femme fatale, siren-esque character, she's great. She's very good in it. She steals the scene, whatever scene she's in. Um, not just because she's naked, but because she's a very good actress as well. And I think she sort of shows that she's very suited to this kind of noir, crime, thriller-esque type story. So that's very good. Visuals, as I say, very good. Everything is still in black and white, except you have these, like, uh, bits of colour that pierce the, the images every so often, so whether it's someone's green eyes or whether it's a, a red blood splatter. Actually, some of the blood in it is, it, what they use is, um, instead of it being red, it's white. And I think when it, when it looks white, and it just looks like, you know, because the, the comic that it's based on is black and white, so when it's the white bits, it's very good at um, still having quite a big impact when you see someone's throat cut and the blood goes everywhere and it's just, just Basically, blank paper is what it's supposed to, to be. It looks really good, uh, and it's quite a sort of, sort of nice nod to the original source material as well. But one thing I do like about Sin City and Sin City 2, um, just going back to a debate that crops up on here with every other podcast, is the fact that it's not a PG-13 at all. It is definitely, definitely an 18 film. Um and, you know, you don't get too many 18-rated comic book adaptations. And so it's quite refreshing. I mean, when it came out in 2005, you know, that was really, other than Blade 2 and The Punisher, this was the first comic book adaptation to be rated so so highly. Um, and so Sin City, A Dame to Kill For, kind of carries on that tradition of being just really violent. Um which is fair enough. Have either of you, uh, perhaps not Steve, but I know, Carol, you also read comics. Have you read any of Frank Miller's uh, Sin City comics? No, I haven't. Um, it's one of those things that's been on the list for ages, uh, but doesn't ever seem to be particularly cheap in Forbidden Planet. <laughs> it's never Basically. cheap, is it? I think I ended up getting them out of the library in the end. But the um, A Dame to Kill For is a really, really good comic. Um, it's been a few years since I, I read it, so I couldn't really remember any of the particulars about it. Um but it seems to be quite a faithful adaptation from what I can remember, while still putting a new um, spin on it. The themes seem the same, the characters are quite um, recognisable, and it, it does just look like a comic book. That's the whole point of the Sin City films, I think, is it's just this um, black and white noir comic book story. Um, so it looks great, and um, it plays as a note to the original comics. However, uh, admittedly, it, it, the stories are a little bit flimsy. 
com- particularly compared to the previous film. Mm-hmm. Um, the stories themselves, they're just, they're just a little bit weak. Um, but there's still stuff to enjoy. If you just want to watch a film um, about some people set in Basin City, then it's good. And that's what that's all I wanted to see. I wanted to see, um, you know, Mickey Rourke again as Marv. I wanted to see um, Bruce Willis again. Um, I wanted to see Powers Booth, who is brilliant in this. Actually, re- really revels in his role. Powers Booth, um, fantastic. Uh, Eva Green again. She she's fantastic. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is in it, and he's pretty good as this sort of wisecracking, cocksure, uh, quite lucky gambler who gets mixed up in gambling in the wrong wrong places and he's too sure of himself and his story is quite good um, but it's just not as good as the comic and it's not as good as the first film which is why it falters a little bit because it is, it's just going to be compared to them, it's inevitable it's unavoidable, it will be compared to, to the things it's adapted from and the comic's better, previous film's better but it is still still a decent film I mean, it's only um, out in 3D at the moment I believe and then is it? Did you say it was out on Friday? In 2D? It, it's um, proper, properly speaking, it's in previews at the moment, even though it did come out hmm. on Monday. So it's showing in ten Cineworld cinemas in 2D at the moment. None of them are in London. Uh, <laughs> so I'm waiting until uh, uh, Friday or Saturday where I can go and see it in, in, in all its 2D glory. Uh, yeah. Because I don't, I don't like watching films in 3D unless I have to, uh, or unless it's worth it. Um, yeah, I, it's not worth it's it. Not it's worth not it. worth going to see in 3D. No, exactly. So the, has it been worth the, the nine-year wait? Because it's been a long, long time since. A very long time. That That is an unnaturally long time in Hollywood, in Hollywood years, between yeah. sequels. Yeah, it is. It is really long. Especially because the first film was such a su- surprise success, you know. It won um, awards for its visual style. Uh, was it even shown at, like, Cannes Film Festival, I think? And yeah. it went down really well there. Um which, you know, for a comic book film was just unheard of. So it's done done fantastically well, the first film. And then, you're right, it's been... I think the first film was 2005. This is obviously 2014, so it's it's nine years. Is it worth the wait, though? Um, I, mm, I don't know, it's tough. Because it's quite a long time to leave it to... to give you a sense of, well, actually, I would quite like to revisit this city mm-hmm. and revisit these characters but it, it does disappoint a little because it's it's not as good as I wanted it to be um, and I don't know whose fault it is either I don't know who to lay the blame at because the, the stories are obviously Frank Miller's stories he's co-directed this as well as adapted his own book to a screenplay uh, Robert Rodriguez is there who you know I've only seen like a handful of bad films out of his whole um, catalogue so yeah, I don't really know whose fault it is, <laughs> or if it's anybody's fault, or if it's just my fault for expecting more. I'm not sure. Let's not forget that Frank Miller directed The Spirit. That's true. <laughs> he did. Um, I just think he's had a, sorry. a very strange. He's had a very strange career in film. Yeah. He did Robocop, Robocop Two script, and that was completely butchered. And the, the film that went out was supposedly nothing like what he wrote and. It was another one of those where, well, the film Robocop 2 didn't do as well as the previous film, so is he just trying to distance himself from it? I don't know. But then he did Robocop 3, and his script again was supposedly butchered and made into this sort of PG film. Um, so, he's had a very checkered career. It was Sin City that kind of brought 
attention back to him. And Batman Begins, of course, which was borrowing heavily from uh, from year one. Yeah. I, so. I just think that, I think that the problem with, obviously I haven't seen the film, but I think the problem with the reception it's got, and it hasn't had a very good reception at all, is, is twofold really right. First, obviously the, the gap has been massive. And mm-hmm. it, if they'd have stuck out another one two or three years after the first, then probably people's expectations wouldn't have been quite so high. But you know, the thing you're thinking, well, it's been nine years; they must have had something pretty, pretty special. I think they were, weren't they, waiting for um, Angelina Jolie at, at first, and she was going to be the dame, and then they kind of gave up in the end. Um, well, I think uh, I don't really, I don't know where we're going with this conversation, <laughs> but part of it is that Eva Green is naked quite a lot. Oh, <laughs> right. yeah. Okay. So if Angelina Jolie was in the role. Whether that was an issue? Not normally I'm an not issue sure. for her, really. Well, she's had some surgery since. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, fair point. Um, but my other point <laughs> was going to be, I think everyone's just kind of uh, caught up with with Sin City now because when it came out, it was it was kind of groundbreaking. Obviously, the visual effects mm. were amazing and stuff. Um, but but now, but since then, you've had um, obviously at the time, so two thousand and five. What were you having like X Men two, Spider Man two? Um, and really now, kind of comic book films have, have caught up with it. Um, you've got things like uh, Watchmen came out, obviously, like a few years yeah. after that, and some some of, of those shots were replicating the, the panels in Watchmen, were like literally yeah. down down to the down to the minutest detail. That's right. So, yeah. uh, and and, and you know, three hundred, of course, and three hundred, yeah. 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 So you know, they they kind of raised the bar for for um, kind of spectacle and, and for keeping things. Um, in in line with with their comic books, but also mm-hmm. you've got this whole kind of gritty, darker stuff from you know Batman. Batman's really gritty and dark now. Interestingly, though, still rated the same as X Men and uh, Spider Man. What's in City? Uh, no, uh, Batman. The Batman films. Oh, on where they're not they're they're violent. You watch them and you think, well, this is a better oh, crime right, yeah, family. Sorry. But yeah, the Batman films, as dark as we seem to think they are. The ratings people seem to suggest otherwise. Well, it's because there's no blood. You can you can slam a pencil <laughs> into a guy's eye, no problem, as long as there's no yeah. blood. It's absolutely fine. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, so we, we've kind of got past the whole. You know, comic books on screen aren't really just superheroes anymore. You've you've had things like I don't know, Road to Perdition had already been out, I think. Mm-hmm. But you've um you, you've had lots of violence and history of violence. Yeah. There was the um. That wasn't there were recent Tom Cruise film that was based on one as well. I think actually it was um, the one that he's Oblivion. just done, but I can't remember the name of it. Oh, I saw um, it; it was really good. Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that was based on the comic book as well. So, so we've moved past the whole idea of, of just superheroes being uh, adapted for this for the screen. So I think everyone's just kind of like moved on a bit, really. And I think it's a shame because yeah, if this had been put out two or three years after Sin City, everyone would have been quite excited about it and possibly it would have had a better reception um, but as it is I, I think everyone's just kind of moved on okay yeah um, which is a shame that really brings an end to that review and this podcast for this week um, just some recommendations quickly before we go I have not seen this film before it's on Sunday afternoon on Follow the USA it's uh, quarter to it's Ben Hur. Lots of people say it's really good, so I'm going to give it a watch. <laughs> You've never seen Ben Hur? No. None of it? 
No, or might, <laughs> you, you, must have you must have seen the chariot racing. Uh, probably, yeah. Ten minutes of it on Christmas Day after dinner. Uh, exactly, yeah. <laughs> if you time it right, you just get the one hour that's worth watching and then avoid <laughs> the three hours of it that's not. <laughs> uh, yeah, it does seem to be on telly for four and a quarter hours, so it might be worth recording and fast forwarding for the adverts. Uh, Owen? Well, um, I was going to pick a film that's on uh, US Netflix, but I'm not sure whether I can do that now. Because <laughs> I was going to just pick The Den, which is worth watching and yeah, it's very good. And done. Reviewed it. Done. Okay, fair enough. Done. Fine. Over. Carol? Uh, well, Monday's a momentous occasion. Uh, I don't know if you're aware, but I'm a little bit of a Ghostbusters fan. And on Monday, we are getting, for the first time on Blu-ray... Ghostbusters 2 is coming out. <laughs> yes. I can't wait. My my copy is on order. I will be watching it on Monday night. Hail Vigo. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's all for this week's podcast. Thanks to everyone who's contributed, uh, listened, downloaded. Um, keep your eye on the website, www.fellcritics.com, because we're going to have lots of good articles, especially uh, the stuff from Fright Fest going up. Uh, in the next week or so and we'll be back around the same time next week with another podcast